0: Hello and welcome back to Blood and Ashes. This is episode 29. I'm your host Mo and I'm joined once again by the dynamic duo, <laughs> Vili and Jody. Selamat malam.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Dharmak and Jalad at Tanagra. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, geez, we didn't ask for your whole life story. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. <laughs> All right, Enlighten Us what was that?
3: Uh, Indonesian.
0: Hmm, okay. Do they have only one language? Is it just Indonesian or do they have like Uh, South Africa? Google Translate
3: just called it Indonesian. So I'm assuming that that's their their native language of their mama mama tongue. Okay, uh, corporate
0: America has decided that they speak Indonesian.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's like like we speak
0: African.
2: (laughs) No, but I think it's a language. African is not it? Yeah, it
0: probably is. Yeah. Yeah. I just like shitting on Google whenever I can. How about about you, Joe? I want the Star Trek nerds in the (laughs) listening
2: to this (laughs) to write in and tell us (laughs) what that greeting was. A little bit
0: interactive. I'm going to put 20 bucks on Adrian being the first one to respond (laughs) (laughs) and another 20 on her being the only
3: one. (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna put 20 bucks on that it is not klingon and i'm gonna put another 20 bucks on that i don't know what other languages there are in the show a lot of money riding on this one sure hey well i'm gonna
2: win willie's money and then i'm gonna have to pay it to moritz (laughs) (laughs) because i think you've got the best odds there
1: (laughs) yeah
0: well um is it me Yes. Or does it feel like we never slowed down after the Dragon Reborn? No, it's... It could be a little bit just because of the last chapter in this stretch, because, I mean, there is a bit of talky-talky stuff going on in the beginning here. But, like, out of the Dragon Reborn, I know there was a two-week gap, you know, in the story, in the uh, in the timeline, but it just feels like a direct continuation, eh? Like, we finished in the Hearts of the Stone. Two weeks later, we're still missioning around the Stone. Kalandor's front and center... Uh, everyone is there. We're not veering off to other places. You know, it's um, it's cool. It, it feels like it doesn't feel like oh, now we have to go through a whole
3: intro slog. Or mm-hmm. like we're right up there in the in the action. Yeah, it's that 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 lack of a, a prologue has made it just mm. flow in like completely. It's not like a wind stickle the fe- feathers and the leaves, and we're all gonna get sailing <laughs> again down the river. And- <laughs> <laughs>
0: or like introducing brand new characters that you yeah. don't know, you know, like Bors or Carradine and those guys. Mm.
3: Actually, that's the same guy I just realized. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do find that these chapters are beefy. Uh, I know there's a few short ones in between, but they're quite beefy, all of them. Mm. Um, so maybe it yeah. is a bad ring winter that, you know, Robert just had a lot of time writing. It's like, can't be bothered going outside today. <laughs> Yeah, let me write a thousand pages.
0: Um, it's funny because the next stretch, which we'll obviously get to at the very end of the show when we talk about what chapters we're going to do next, um, there's a string of them in a row that are all like ten, eleven, twelve pages each. So we're actually going to do eight chapters for the next Ooh. episode, uh, sticking with our goal of you know sort of doing plus minus a hundred pages per episode because it's a thousand page thousand page mm. book.
2: Billy, what you said there about Robert Jordan having a hard winter and just writing lots, I saw reminded me I saw like a post or something. Saying, uh, it's not a slog. Because everybody refers to the slog uh, later on in the books. Mm -hmm. It's not a slog. It's just Robert Jordan slowing down to spend more time in the world that he created. And I thought, that sounds cool. I'll go with that. That is a lovely sentiment. Yes. (laughs) That'll (laughs) get you to the slog. I can get behind
3: that sentiment. (laughs) I can definitely. Did Harriet come up with that one? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) but uh, Would you called him Robert? I don't know were you going to say something evil yeah these these chapters here are um, th- and we'll get to the the chapter of topic which will be later mm. in the show but mm. that is a chapter that i do remember but i mm. didn't remember it being in this book i always thought it was at the end of the great hunt uh, oh sorry the dragon reborn um, so did i Veli? And, i don't know was, i know what yeah. you're talking about yeah
0: I also remember this chapter because it is quite a jarring one. I always thought mm. it was at the very beginning of this book. And so when it didn't come up, I forgot about it. And when <laughs> I read it now, I was like, ah, yes, here it
3: is. Mm. Well, happy surprise. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it was uh, great reading into things that I remember very little of. And I keep saying that all the time. Uh, but then I did get a little bit of light there. It was good.
0: I was about to say the exact same thing, like even the the images that I am conjuring this time around are different from what I remember reading or what, you know, I've sort of retained anyway from when I was younger, like I'm putting a lot more uh, effort into imagining the spaces. And when they say a room is 50 paces wide, you know, I try to imagine mm. a room that is 50 meters wide, where when I was young, I would have just glossed straight over that. Uh, so I am definitely, like, in my mind's eye, seeing the black marble of the anteroom, you know, and the, the the pools of blood on the black marble, which are almost <laughs> <Yeah>. indistinguishable. <laughs> it's, mm.
1: it's there's a lot of pools heavy of heavy blood. <laughs> yeah.
0: This series, I don't think we've ever really mentioned it, but this series is it's quite violent, you know. Yeah. I mean, a dude gets his face ripped off in this chapter. <laughs> I mean, in a previous like, book, a dude had his skin ripped off and the blood splattered yeah. all over Perrin, you know? Like, there is some really, like, hectic imagery. And it's interesting that you don't remember it as such. Like, Game of Thrones is the obvious, you know, opposite mm. to point to, where it's almost known for its its graphic um, portrayal of violence and sex and, like, that sort mm. of stuff. Where here, that stuff happens, but it's not thrown in your f- in your face it's mentioned but it's not uh elaborated on or dwelled upon it's like yeah this stuff is happening but that's not what we're here for yeah. um which is is interesting i don't remember
3: it being this this full-on yeah i'm desensitized to violence in a very big way um humanity one, is one part bringing raised in africa does desensitize you somewhat mm-hmm. to to the violent nature. And uh, watching the quantity of science fiction and horror that I have in my life, it's kind <laughs> of like, yeah, it's just cool. But I am now going to say something that I'm probably going to eat my words later. I really want to see the love story get going a lot better because I have taken to it so much more mm-hmm. this time around. Like just actually putting some interest in it and not just reading over it. It's uh, And there's multiple love stories. Mm. The 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 Moulson Boone side of the writing, <laughs> <laughs> there's a bit
0: of that to say hey? in, in these chapters. There's a little bit of uh, canoodling. Oh, I like canoodling, filling <laughs> Now, before we get to the canoodling, let's do the boring stuff first. Mm. Why don't you guys follow me to a little place I like to call Gobex? <laughs> So um, the first one, I sent you guys a a, a message a week or two ago about a podcast that I listened to called The Podcast of the Dragon, uh, and in it, the specific episode that I had listened to was focused on the relationship between Perrin and Moraine during the great, uh, not the, the great hunt, during The Dragon Reborn, which is something that we sort of touched on lightly here and there, like the whole five pound trout uh, chapter, you know, like Perrin, sort of, you know, what was the point of it? Is this Moraine sort of just re-establishing her dominance over Perrin and Loyal, making them gut the fish and that sort of stuff? We we, we dipped into that sphere a little bit, uh, but Morgan, the host of Podcast of the Dragon, really elaborated on, you know, just what Perrin's mo becomes, you know, like how he says no to the Sedai all the time, and it's. He doesn't have any kind of magic to back up his his uh, his resistance to them, but he still does it and he doesn't take their shit and it actually evolves over time where it becomes a powerful weapon for him. Like He just doesn't listen to the Aes Sedai. <laughs> they hold no power over him, which is awesome. And I encourage everyone listening to the show to also go listen to that. I think it was, oh, I shouldn't lie now, but I think it was episode 26 or 27, uh, just called The Power of Nope. Um, <laughs> go listen to it. All of that aside, the reason why it's in our callback section is because I love that episode so much and I love the analysis that Morgan did there that I went and I just straight up listened to the very next episode which dealt with the whole ending of The Dragon Reborn, so the last couple chapters. And in it, she, I mean, this is shortly after we had this conversation about why does Matt feel the urge to look at the door when he's dicing with Komar and he feels, you know, his luck sort of working. And like I said, it was like literally a day or two after we recorded that episode and had that conversation when I listened to the podcast of The Dragon and the episode about the ending of The Dragon Reborn. And in it, Morgan just mentions that in that moment, Rand walks past that inn and that it's actually Rand's Tavera nature that affects the dice. Because as Rand walks by, Matt had rolled the dice and Matt thinks it's his luck because it always has been. But the fact that he feels the urge to look toward the door could be because he had just seen Rand go around a corner before he ducks into the into the inn. So Rand is right there. And she thought, I mean, she stated it quite matter-of-factly, almost like it was accepted, that it was actually Rand affecting the dice and not Matt,
1: hmm.
0: which is an interesting thought because we couldn't figure out why would he feel the urge to look at the door? Why is that line in there? Um, so, yeah, it's just something to consider. All right. Now, number two. I know that I have sort of beaten this drum a little bit, and as our regular listeners would know, I do tend to repeat myself a little bit, but I will quickly go back to the question of whether Bane and Chyad are in a relationship. Are we Are still on this? <laughs> <laughs> I thought we've settled this. Like, why are we still on this? Well, I just had a thought, and I wanted to run it by you guys, and that is that um, you know how we said that because they were both maidens of the spear, their warrior society allegiance overrides any kind of uh blood feud that the Tardad and the Goshin Aul might have had with each other, and I just thought, surely there are other maidens also from those clans, you know they wouldn't be the only two women from those entire clans to join the maidens of the spear, there would be others and The two of them specifically are the only ones because it is posed as something that is out of the ordinary. They specifically went one step further to proclaim themselves First Sisters, Mm -hmm. where none of the others that we know of or that anyone has mentioned have done the same thing. So it was just another thing for me, pointing that in the direction that they have gone even further down the road of forming a bond than even other maidens of the spear from those two clans have formed, because they would also be bound by the rules of their warrior society that, Mm. you know, their blood feud is put aside, but these guys felt they actually really wanted to go a step further. And that is all I will say on that in this episode. Next time. (laughs) Next time. It'll be a 10 minute (laughs) one. (laughs) Just kidding. Tirade. (laughs) I'll go on full rant. (laughs) Min's viewings in the tower, we were sort of like all over the shop with like, is this about the split? Is it about the attack from the Sean Chan? So I just went and just to get my own thoughts in place, I want to run these by you guys as well and see if you agree with what I've sort of landed on here. So Min's viewing of the servants being attacked would not have been from the split. Because the Aes Sedai and the waters on either side of the split in the tower would not be taking out any of that on the servants. There there wouldn't be collateral damage in in the shape of servants getting attacked. But I think Min mentions the servants to Swan in that conversation to say, look, this attack is going to happen here. Hmm. So I'm lumping the servant angle in with the Aes Sedai that have been uh, you know, bloodied, bloody masks behind a veil of blood and blah, blah, blah. All the stuff that Min saw that sort of led her to believe that the Aes Sedai and the waters themselves are also going to be in a fight with the servants. And I think that the Aes Sedai visions are, because of that, more than likely from the Shonchan attack.
1: Mm. And the
0: only ones from the split are actually uh, Swan and Leanne, like Leanne's screaming mask, you know, and, and Swan lying on, I think, stone in the nude or something like that. Mm.
2: I can confirm that because Christina and I had a chat about this. She paused the podcast and came to tell me. So Christina doesn't have to write in. (laughs) She can just (laughs) speak straight to me. (laughs) So she goes, yeah, because she's read further on. She's already finished book five. Mm -hmm. And she says the split of the tower has already happened. And there's no Aes Sedai that kill each other. And they don't kill the servants and all of this stuff. So I was like, yeah, okay, that makes more sense then. Because the fact, as I had been thinking about that, the fact that Aes Sedai and servants were dead didn't mm. ru- didn't
0: sound like the split to me. I don't remember them murdering no. each other. Waters, yes. And I think that's what muddied the water for us because the uh, waters do fight. I mean, Hamar dies and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But Aes are not killing each other. No. I don't think. Now, Gawain, because of that, is also sort of like between those things. Like Gawain is there at the Sean Chan attack, but he is there with Gareth, Brian and Swan infiltrating the tower at during the Sean Chan attack. They are there to rescue Egwene. Yeah. But Gawain is also obviously there at the split because he kills Hammer. Mm. And the the viewing that Min has about Gawain is that uh, he's got a bloody mask. Obviously, so that's an injury. And I think he does get injured during both. I think he fights some of the, the blood knives during the Sean Chan attack. Uh, but he also fights Hammer, obviously, who is a blade master. which... Uh, which he has over his head. In Min's viewing, there is a long hilted sword, much like the Warder's wear. Mm-hmm. So he fought other Warders. She also mentions that Gowan during that from that vision, she gets the sense that he's hurt deeper than the wounds alone, which could speak to his sort of Tower loyalty. and Like you know, like mm. he doesn't know which way to go and has to make well, a decision he and that his, goes against his master, Hamar. Yeah.
3: Mm. So I yeah. mean, that in itself will cause a lot of emotional upheaval.
0: Yeah, and then also the white boar on the green. Some of the younglings take to wearing green cloaks with uh, Gawain's boar embroidered on it in white. So he doesn't have a banner, but the uniform of most of the younglings does reflect the white boar on the green banner. So that to me means, okay, Gawain, Swan, Leanne, their viewings are of the split but the Aes Sedai and the servants and the warders are from the Shonchan attack. That's yep. my rationale anyway. Well, that tracks, so... I concur. Yeah. Great. We can put that one to bed, like the Burnt <laughs> Fade and where the Turek was cut in half. <laughs> uh,
2: and uh, we'll no, we'll we'll bring it up later with Bain and try it again.
0: Naturally, yes. We had some listeners write in about the... The questions we had about Leanne's screaming mask, notably, Adrian said also she thinks that the screaming uh, mask that, you know, is basically just Leanne's face that's sort of impo- superimposed over her real face that Min sees, yeah. um, is from the stilling and could be related to the loss of the um, contact with the with the one power which is another question we asked do stilled people still sense the one power but they can't access it and the answer is yes they can still sense it. so once oh. you still you can sense the one power but you can't get so that must be maddening right so that's and that torture. could that could be the torture and the screaming what the screaming face represents um and then swan lying naked on stone i went and i found the chapter where swan gets uh, still gets naked and where and well <laughs> yes well as the case maybe yes, yes she wakes up uh, in the cells fully in the nude so when she's lying on the stone naked uh, that is her waking up in in the dungeons of the tower uh. Uh, along with um, with Leanne obviously and then listener Joe Queen of Swords said that or she mentioned that min notes something odd about yes. Swan. And that could also be the loss of the ageless look, which also comes up in some of our chapters now mm. with Amiko. You know, they talk about it. Avienda mentioned something about Amiko not looking like the other sisters anymore. And Egwene sort of let slip, you know, that they don't know what it is. when I mean, the has to save by saying it hasn't been studied very well and blah, 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 blah. But like this loss of the ageless look actually comes up in this episode. And um, Joe also wrote in to say as much. She lost her sparkle. (laughs) She's not glowing anymore. (laughs) Then, um, Joe, you mentioned at one point that Elida redeems herself. (laughs) Yeah? No? She doesn't? Okay. My head shaking doesn't work well in an audio format, but she... I couldn't find anything that she did. And look, some people do cut her a little bit of slack because she is at some point eventually heavily manipulated by Lviarin. Right. She I think Elida at some point is not even allowed to appear in public and speak without Lviarin's permission. It's it's like a heavy, heavy level of, of manipulation. But to counter that, she was acting power hungry and egotistical and uh, didn't give anyone the time of day or consideration long before that actually came into effect. All right. so, so no redemption arc. She's she's a bit of a sad case. And I mean, she is eventually carried off by the Sean Chan, right? So I'm conflicted there between my extreme dislike of Elida and my outright hatred of the Sean Chan and how they treat people because you know what's going to happen to Elida. Oh, she yeah. is going to be, she'll be a demand, demand a, sorry. Oh, another thing that happens to Elida, she meets Peyton Fane. And there's this throwaway line that Peyton Fane says. It's um, he mentions brushing her with what he brought back from Aridol, So he actually affects her as well with that paranoia and mistrust and that mm. effect that he has on other people. He says it. So he men- in the same sentence, he mentions doing it to Elida and to Pedro Nile. Ah, so yeah. he has affected these like major, like leaders of major forces in the mm. world. By just coming into, well, Peter Niall, he had sustained contact with, right? So mm. who knows what effect he's had on him. Um, But Elida as well, that's like another thing that people cite as maybe being like, you know, okay, maybe she wasn't all bad. She had this, yeah. she had LVR in as well, but she was also terrible. So, yeah, I'm not feeling that sorry for you.
2: No, that's probably what I was um interpreting then is that like, it wasn't her fault, not that she was redeemed. In that sense, then.
0: Mm, okay. Because,
2: mm. you know, as as has been proven, we don't remember anything about what happened. <laughs> so, that's where I got confused. But I remember her not like, she's not a bad guy. She's not the bad guy, you know.
0: She's more of a sad case. What you were saying last episode about um, her having solid motivations for, at least at this point in the story, yep. right? She can sense subterfuge from the ambulance seat, which is undermining the integrity of the tower and she is acting in a way that she thinks is fitting when she has swan deposed she gets the bare minimum number of sitters required to meet in secret and make the decision it's not in front of the hall so mm. it is you know i can understand she has to be very careful yeah this is not something you do every day right like this is not just a you yeah. <laughs> know business as usual pr- procedure but they also kill swan's water <gasps> Unnecessarily. I think he's stabbed in the back.
2: No, man. And, don't tell me stuff like that now.
0: And the, the law of the tower states that, you know, that is understandable in this situation, but she sort of pushes it to the extreme without having to. They didn't have to kill him. Um so you know, minus a couple more points for Elida. I actually feel nauseous now.
2: Stop telling me this stuff.
0: Yeah, she, no more spoilers. <laughs> Let's see. Maybe it's not so bad. Maybe there are (laughs) uh, extenuating circumstances. I don't know. I doubt it. Yeah, same. Okay, let's move on to something more pleasant, like the domination bands. Oh, Um, (laughs) yeah. We were wondering, or Joe, you asked the question outright, whether Suroth actually knows about them, because she phrases her question to that yellow that has been captured as a Damane. How is the tower controlling? the Dragon Reborn, and you thought that that might have hinted at her actually knowing about the Domination Bands and whether they have some and they are using them on him. Mm. Uh, but I couldn't find a definitive answer. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff that I, I didn't want to delve in too much because I want at least some of it to be a surprise, but apparently there was, there was one original set and then six copies made. Mm. So at one point in this story, there are seven of those things floating around. Well, unless one has been destroyed by the time the six come into play, but like this, at, at some point the find a box oh. of them. All oh, right. Well, that that's the plan. Uh, Nynaeve gives it to Aegean and, and Domon to drop into the ocean, but they are captured by the Shaunchan before and Surath gets her hands on them. They, the the one domination in bands can mm. Yes. So. We'll find out at that point, because I actually went and looked for the chapter. When does Suroth actually get it? Does she go, ah, here they are, or ooh, what are these? You know, like, to right. see whether she knows at this point, but I couldn't find it and I just <laughs> spent too much time, <laughs> too much time trying to find that specific moment. So, put a pin in it. Joe, you had a, a question like, what the hell is the voice of the blood? You know, like, Olwyn was raised to the voice of the blood, and yeah. the, the Sean Chan name for that rank is Sojin. Uh, it is a Basically, a slave, like if you remember that the slaves are called Darkoval Darkoval or something Mm. like that, but they have authority over them and some power. So the Sojin of the empress, even the blood tread lightly around them. And the direct translation of Sojin is a height among lowness or both sky and valley. (laughs) So it's like you're (laughs) a slave, but a slave with power. (laughs) <laughs> There's more. It's clearing it up for everyone. This <laughs> <laughs> is, I mean, now you it's know both what Black rank and is. white. All right. Well, she's still a slave, but she has authority over other slaves and has some influence.
2: Yes, so like
3: that uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character in that. Uh,
2: exactly
3: Django. what I was thinking.
2: Wow, I watched yes. Django like last month. Exactly. We okay. will not
1: repeat what his rewatch. title is. <laughs> <laughs> this is an R-rated show you no, we'll are not, not that R-rated <laughs>
0: um, At some point this is a correction for for me I said that Matt and Perrin both instinctively Blame Rand be- for the bubbles of evil Because of that earthquake he caused up in the mountains But point of order Matt was not there Matt was sick being carted to Tarvalon By Varin and the girls uh, It was only Perrin so Only Perrin has cause for blaming Rand For that attack Matt's general, you know, opinion of Rand is he's mad. It's only a matter of time until he kills yeah. me. I don't know what caused this. Must be Rand. <laughs> End <laughs> <Yes>. of story. <laughs> um, ooh, I've got another pedantic one. When Tom is talking about taking responsibility for helping the boys out uh, out of the sort of Aes webs because of what happened 15 years ago, he is specifically talking about helping Rand at that point and not Matt. He is—he uh, talks about Matt and sort of liking him and even owing him for what we presume is sort of getting him out of his, his drunken slump a, a couple of pages later. But he is is very, very committed to helping Rand. And we see something, like a brief mention yeah. in these chapters as well, of like a cool little thing that Tom does, but we'll, we'll get to that. So he is still, because of the clear parallel between Rand and his nephew, both being able to channel, being caught in um, in the Aes Sedai webs, he says about Matt that he recognizes that Matt's entanglement with the Aes Sedai is but a trifle compared to Rand's, right? Like Matt, Matt's blown the horn of Valir, right? <laughs> like he is a massive thing. But even Matt is just like, yeah, you're entangled with the Aes Sedai, but I think they call it like a street side raree or, or something like that mm. compared to um, compared to Rand's, Rand's strings that are tied to him. And then the last one. Which is just a fun one. Prince of Persia was released in
2: 1989.
0: <laughs> and The Shadow Rising was published in 1992.
2: She's totally copied it.
0: I wonder if Robert Jordan played video games, or computer games as the case may be, and uh, played Prince of Persia. He totally did. I'm okay. going to assume that he did. Because, yes. I mean, it's even like, it's, it's a mirror image. Like, you know, like these things are stepping out of the mirror, exactly like in Prince of Persia. He puts the sword <laughs> away, and they put their swords away, and then he absorbs them into himself, exactly like in the video game. So it's it's a pretty, pretty straightforward um, likeness. And that is an end to callbacks. Vili, you can wake up now. I'm Vili.
3: sitting here You're listening, and <clears throat> we are <clears throat> going into areas of the books that I can't even remember reading or haven't read yet or... Dirk, I thought we're calling (laughs) back to the last episode, now we're calling forward to the future
1: episodes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well then, let's get to the good stuff. Let's do a quick recap. So, previously on Blood and Ashes, uh, Min got back to the White Tower and was recruited by Swan. Uh, Elida suspects Swan is up to something and starts conspiring against her. Bornhold and Ordith arrive in the two rivers. Suroth has set up shop off the coast of Terrebonne. Matt, Perrin, and Rand are attacked by bubbles of evil. Berlaine throws herself at Rand to no avail. Moiraine is frustrated by Rand's lack of action, sitting in tear for two weeks at this point. And Matt confides in Tom that he finds himself unable to leave. And that is quite a lot, actually, considering (laughs) we we did four chapters last episode, right? Yeah. So that's quite a lot. But now let's get into some more. So chapter five is called Questioners,
3: and it's all yours, Willy. There we go. Now, we are not referring to the questioners that work for the evil people that work for the light. that think they do the good job, but they're not doing the good job. Uh, <laughs> this is referring to our uh, girls, Nynaeve and Egwene at this moment, that are busy questioning the uh, two captured Aes Sedai. And we'd learn now that Amiko has been stilled during the the capture. Stilled, or she burned herself out. Not sure. There's, there's a little bit of speculation. But either way, the result is the same. Put for a her. pin in that. <laughs> oh, put a pin on it. Um, Was but she yes, the one guarding the, the, the door? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah, she's the one that got herself caught half in and out, like one leg out of Tal Alan Reoid. And another mm-hmm. leg inside it and ripped her apart and still her or gentle there yeah. or whatever. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, the heat is oppressive and everyone's taking strain. Um, everyone is moody that um, Moiraine has summoned them all uh, and Moiraine's not there yet. Uh, Elaine is also absent at this moment. And and uh, Nainiv is still pressing away, taking... The two Aes Sedai that were captured, Amiko and Joya, and questioning them, but sort of blocking the one's ear so that they can get and forcing them to tell the story in different words as if it was not rehearsed. But they're still trying Mm -hmm. to get more information out of them. Now, Avienda was also summoned to be there. She doesn't quite know. She's a little bit afraid of this. Um, uh, Being Aeel, she sits on the ground, uh, which is a weird thing. But there's this... Long table that's red-lacquered and shiny, and Egwene can't figure out what this room is supposed to be used for. They're just using it as the interrogation room, I assume now. And nice high-back chairs and gold furnishings and blah, blah, blah. But Avienda just crosses her legs and sits down on the floor, as mm-hmm. the AEL will do. Um, now, uh, Amika is, we learned now stilled, and she is more than willing just to say, what's happening like what she knows and what comes out is that the black Archers a pretty secretive organization with very minimal links like we discussed a couple of episodes ago mm. that she really doesn't have more and they think she's lying but she is actually i feel sorry for her i mean she she can't do any damage now
1: mm, I turned
3: to the shadow voluntarily so mm. maybe maybe not maybe they got her at a, they compromised that a moment of weakness But nevertheless, she is Mm going to die in the next couple of years because she can't touch... Dark friend. (laughs) She can't touch that beautiful, pure power anymore. And uh, her life is going to just whittle away. But nevertheless, she keeps saying to them, like, look, Tanchika is where you have to go. That's where something's going to go down. But that is as much as she knows from overhearing a drop of a conversation between Leandrin and another one of those 13 Blacks. Then they would alternate, and they say, okay, cool, tie off another block ear weave on her, and constantly Iguane is checking that the shielding that she has on Joya is holding, because dealing with her is completely something different. She still has this evil gloss in her eye. She's still ready to pounce whenever she needs to. So it's like dealing with a, a trapped wild cat, that one. You might have leather gloves on, but they do damage. But yeah. she's she keeps repeating the same sort of story. Like, yep, this is what this is what the plan was. And what it boils down to is that if they can get Mazrum Tame and dress him up to be Rand, they can cause a lot of chaos through there. So that's one part of the plan. But we also know that there are there's something else in Tanchico that can be, and as much as said, that there's a weapon of a kind there that's going to give them the upper hand over Rand. And we know, we've already alluded to it, the, uh, the bands of domination, or dominion, or the
1: Something
3: evil like bracelets. Domination bands, I think. bands of mourning. Bands. So it's it's sort of like starting to tie all of this together, and uh, Avienda doesn't know still why she's there. She's just sitting there because she's scared of Sedai. Now, Avienda and everyone in the Stone at this stage do believe that Nynaeve, Elaine, and Egwene are sisters. Mm -hmm. It's the only people that know that they're not is obviously Matt Rand and the boys and uh, the two captured Aes Sedai that also don't say anything. Uh, Maybe they're not exactly sure why, but Egwene feels guilty about it, sort of like when Avienda sort of gives her the courtesies that a full sister would need and that she's kind of fingers the ring saying like, ooh, I feel a little bit... Even Moraine is playing along with it. She doesn't confirm nor does she deny. She's isidai her way through the questions beautifully, as uh, Isidai's do.
0: Moraine could not lie, but she could make the truth dance a fine jig. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. That's <laughs> the line yeah. in the
3: book. <laughs> mm, a very fine jig. She's uh, she's mastered that skill. And, uh, yeah, it's at uh, the end of the chapter, the door sort of... Gets a wrap in, and in comes Moraine, incredibly flustered. Uh, you, you could have swear she's woken up beside a trollock, and uh, that's the end of the chapter. Not just so, flustered, but like furious. Like furious, you flustered. See that,
0: <laughs> you don't see that level of emotion on Moraine's face ever. Mm-mm. She is pissed. Yeah, she is pissed off.
3: Now, I wonder if it's got something to do with Two Rivers men. <laughs> and their stubborn nature, <laughs> no, but no, yes, no. Uh, we just we. I think the biggest thing that I've taken out of this chapter is obviously Tanchico is now on the cards. Mm-hmm. There's a, a a side plan to basically sow chaos because people don't know Rand. They wouldn't know if it's yeah. the real dragon or not. And can these thirteen sisters free Mazarim time and make him uh, a pseudo dragon and cause a lot of chaos? Another eleven. Eleven sisters. Ah, uh, eleven. But they recruit. I oh, mean, we, we know this. There's, there's 200 plenty more that's in the bench. Hundreds. So, <laughs> hundreds in the tower. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. And uh, also, is this plan purely to to lure Rand out of his stone? Because right now he's a little bit stuck, like a hermit crab, for four weeks. Moranis, as we mentioned, pretty pretty agitated with him being stuck in the mud. Every day is getting closer to an attack or a killing of a sort, <laughs> um, and then to lure him out of his little hermit hole and uh, get him to be collared. So not a hell of a lot of action in there, but uh, enough to keep us paging over. There's, um, there's a lot of like
0: talky cha- chapters here, right? like a lot of people mm. in rooms having conversations again, much like in tower time.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of tower time again, but uh, you know, stone time. Little little stuff. Stone yeah. tower time.
0: Mm. I thought that there was a lot of trust from Moraine in Egwene to let her weave the shield and tie it off. And, you know, I mean, Amiko has been stilled, and we'll get to that. But Joya can still channel, and she's left her with Nynaeve in Egwene. Um,
3: it's just the alone. only way that I can see it is out of the perspective of an Aes you are not going to admit that a younger sister or a, an accepted is stronger than you. So, therefore, you're just going to go with it. You're just going to go, okay, cool. You tie them off. She can see the weave. She's like, yep, that's that's better than I would have done it. <laughs> Did Moraine, do
0: other Asadai know how to tie off weaves? No. I don't think so.
2: Not, I think this is new. Uh, yeah, this is
3: new. Okay, this is what Eguine figured out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe this is why they got to scrub pots because I haven't quite figured out how to tie off the weave that keeps the scrubber moving around in circles <laughs> and <pump> in. <laughs> not allowed
0: to channel to scrub those pots. And it's all elbow grease. Wow, it's, it sounds bad. It's not right. <laughs> Did you guys also find that Amiko is instantly more believable than Joya? Yes. You know, it's it's plain to the reader that uh, listen to Amiko. That doesn't
3: I mean, it's it's pretty <laughs> clear that my uh, empathy and uh, sympathy levels has climbed a bit with her. Yeah. And she still looks very attractive and young, even though she's still.
2: No, no, I don't know. Like, yes, I get that from the text. I read it that she is the two, one of the, like, out of the two, the most believable. But she's been a dark sister her whole life. Why, what makes anything different now? I can't trust her. Yeah, but
3: you you, you believe in the children of the light. That's why. Just walk in the light, Vili, <laughs> and everything will be okay.
0: <laughs> Should we talk about Amiko's stilling?
3: If you want, <sighs> yeah. Did, I mean, did, were you guys not shocked? Somewhat. Yeah, I I thought that it was that she was still purposefully, or like that she was sat down and sisters they can't around stilled. But it's no, I mean, they haven't still Joya. Yeah, that's it's obviously happened by accident in that trap. That uh Gwen weaved from Telaron Tel and yeah. her getting trapped in between the two, and I think she just obviously must have burned herself out trying to get out of it. In
0: that episode of Podcast of the Dragon that I mentioned before, that that, that covers the last um chapters of The Dragon Reborn, Morgan does also refer to Amiko's stilling. And at the time I, I was like, oh wait, that's I don't think she was still, you must have misspoken. She was just shielded uh, because even though Egwene had, you know, cast the weave with, like she said, she like had a sharper edge to it to sort of force it in there because it is mm. different because she was already channeling. Uh, but when she came out of Teleron the shields were still there. So I was like, uh, okay, so whatever she did didn't quite work. But there is no other event other than what Egwene did to her in Teleron that could have been the stilling event. And it's not a burnout, they talk about stilling. Yeah.
3: So if she was shielded off in the world of dreams, (laughs) Mm -hmm. what happens in the world of dreams affect your real life. Mm -hmm. So has, has her ability been tied off in the world of dreams? And now she's out of the world of dreams. And there we go. My ability is tied off like a, a pseudo stilling or a, or a, People have been
0: speculating about this. Like if you Google what happened to Amiko during the Dragon Reborn, everyone's like, huh, what? She got stilled? (laughs) Where? How? This is not even mentioned because, you know, because of that half sort of the shields that she held over Nynaeve and Elaine and Egwene still being intact after the event itself. So I found someone on Reddit that had their own theory that kind of goes some way to plastering over the cracks for me a little bit. And we know that Amiko was partially in Telerunriade and in the waking world, because she was actually playing, she was holding a, a Terangriel that she was yeah. playing with that put her in Teleronriar, but she wasn't fully asleep. So she was half in, half out. What Egwene did to her, Egwene cast a stilling weave mm. with a sharp edge to cut her off. It's not just a shield. So she cast a stilling weave at Amiko, And because she was half in, half out, the weave that Egwene cast was in, in Teleronriad, it didn't fully complete the the act of stilling her. And when Nynaeve clocks her <laughs> yeah. and knocks her out cold, she goes into Teleronriad fully and the weave is completed and the stilling uh, happens. Because uh, it's after okay. she knocks her out cold that the shields disappear. Yes.
1: Hmm.
3: Well, that's interesting.
0: Okay. That helps a little bit. And that's probably where I'm going to sit until some of our listeners can enlighten me as to what they think could have happened because it is a weird one.
2: Yeah. That makes the most sense so far. So far.
0: Yeah. The last note I had for that chapter is that the girls seem a little desperate. You know, like they're a little bit aimless in their interrogation. They're trying to make them repeat the same story over and over again. And we'll get to this in the following chapters. But for the next couple of days, they do the same thing. And, yeah. you know, they don't ever change their story. So it's, mm. it's really, really important. They're, they're sort of beating their head against the wall. You're well, they they kind of, s-
3: they're stumped right now what to do. Like they actually they have are. nothing to go by. This is now a whole new, they've got to get intel off the ground. And they, it's the easiest way to just question them. Should we get into it then? Should we keep pushing on? Yes. Why didn't they torture them? <laughs> well, <laughs> they're asked I'm I'm asking that like, you've got, you've got two of the black archer there. They wouldn't have, in one moment, uh, hesitated in torturing any of those girls, and they did. So disappointed in you. They're many. like, don't He's really believe friend, you. He? he is a dark friend, isn't he? <laughs> Listen, Gosh, I'm, are we all, merely, are all three I, of us doctors. <laughs> <laughs> I'm merely asking the question because I've watched so many no, horror I, and sci-fi movies that you just want to get the information. Just burn them with the ember, or stick the, <laughs> stick them with a the pointy end. Or two two know. wrongs don't make a right. Villain, you can't just know, because they're I bad know. people. You can't be a bad person yourself. I'm not I'm not doing any torturing. I'm just asking why. It's not like I'm standing there like, torture them. Oh, daddy wants okay, to
1: well, see the torture.
0: <laughs> then the short answer is because they're not shadow spawn. They're not dark friends. They, they're not going to torture because that goes against everything they stand
1: for. <laughs> Egwene's well, only been away Egwene from women's field for a year. one of them effectively without oh, that's, any consent. That's
0: different. Well, she didn't know what she was doing. That was by accident. Yes. So torturing by accident I think by a- is a okay. accident shocks someone. <laughs> <laughs> I accidentally walked. Oh, look at me. I
3: accidentally dripped and hit the button. Oh no. <laughs> okay, move on. Okie dokes.
0: <laughs> um, the next chapter, chapter six, is called Doorways. So uh Moraine storms in uh, with this look of fury on her face, and she is just straight up frustrated by Rand uh, and Nynaeve loves this, right? She immediately smiles and is like, yeah, we breathe them that way in the two rivers. Mm-hmm. And uh, Moiraine is about to like unleash on on Nynaeve when, um, I think Egwene for a change, she sort of interjects quickly. She's like, uh, so so what did he do? And um, in the meantime, Elaine is in the background sort of, you know, she's only half listening to the conversation because she's all flustered by Rand and she's sort of reprimanding herself for being so distracted by him. But anyway, Egwene in this instance is the one that sort of diffuses the situation. She just asks Moraine straight up, so what did you do, Moraine? And Moraine just glares at her in a way that makes Egwene take a step back and like open her fan and start (laughs) fanning her face. (laughs) She's really taken aback. One of those looks, yeah. Joya and Amiko. well, amiko has been blindfolded and, you know, she's got her, her ear shut off, but uh, Joya is much more wary of of Moraine than she is of, of the girls, for obvious reasons. And Elaine thinks to herself that, you know, Nynaeve and Egwene don't seem to be scared of these sisters at all, but she is still quite, quite scared. And I know that Egwene has sort of left this, this question hanging in the air, but Joya doesn't say anything as, as Moiraine sort of composes herself. Um if it was one of the girls that had been that way and Moraine wasn't there, Joya would have made a comment or some kind of like sidelong insult to sort of sow dissent amongst them. Basically just painting the picture that Joya is very wary of Moraine. And even though Joya, I think, is a head taller than Moraine, it's it's described here that there can be no doubt as to who is in charge. Here. Like Moraine commands their respect, even though they are on opposing sides of the war. So Moran walks over to them and just launches into the fact that she's made arrangements for the two of them, Joya and Amiko, to be shipped off to Tarvalon within four days. And she says to Joya, if you don't come forward with the truth before you reach South Harbour, you will be tried in the traitor's court and surely sent to the gallows. Joya tries to say something to that. Well, actually, at that at that moment, the Moraine asks Avienda to go summon the captain and um, to two of his guards. Uh, one thing we haven't said about Avienda is that she would be seeing all the channeling happening in this room. Yeah. Avienda can channel, so she sees all the flows that Egwene and Elena are, are you know, using to keep them bound and um,
3: tying them off and all that sort of stuff. And is that why Moraine has uh, wanted her to be in the party mix? She could sense that she's got the spark in her?
0: Moran almost certainly knows that mm. she can channel so yes probably wants to keep her close and um, probably interested in like you know ooh, I heal that can channel but also you know like <laughs> probably wanting to recruit she I'm sure can also sense that Avienda is also quite powerful I mean Avienda is on Egwene and Elaine's level as well. Moraine unravels Amico's binds of air much faster than Elaine could um, so Elaine comments on the fact that Sure, the the girls and especially Nynaeve have this raw power that none of the other Aes Sedai have, but Moraine has the skill and the dexterity and the experience to do this unraveling like way, way faster than Elaine ever could. Nynaeve just looks on uh, after hearing what Moraine has proclaimed here uh, and is just like fuming. Like you can see she's fuming, big surprise there. Uh, And eventually the guards come in and Moraine just has them repeat her instructions for how to handle the two captives uh, and to take them away, not to let them speak to anyone, uh, 20 guards outside the room, all that sort of stuff. And they do then take the two women away, the two dark friends away. Egwene comes over to Elaine to ask what is so obviously troubling her, but Nineve bursts out at Moraine, complaining that she's hardly helped them question the dark friends at all. And now she's shipping them off. You know, she says, if you will not help, at least do not interfere. Yeah. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> whoa. You know, Moraine already came in here in a foul mood. So, you know, just uh, wind your neck in, naive. So Moraine just replies now, stoically, do not get too big for your britches.
1: That's my turn, the exact
0: words. But that's what it comes down to, right? Like, do not assume too much on the, on the authority of the Amalim. You are still accepted. And you're making, basically saying, you're making no progress. Like, you two rivers people just don't know when to give up. So, um, after that exchange, Moraine considers that conversation over and just turns to Egwene and Elaine and um, she tells Elaine to sort of pull herself together. Um, Elaine should know the customs of other nations, alluding to, you know, like, the presence of Bear Elaine. And it comes out in this chapter a little bit and the next one that it seems to be quite normal for people from Mayin to sort of, you know, be uh let's call it sexually proactive <laughs> uh, and use it use it as a bargaining chip um, and that elaine should have known that about about bear elaine or anyone from from Maine. um so she doesn't have any time for elaine being
3: all put out by this this little episode now just in that how long is this is this the same morning as the bubble of evil popped up in this basically later that day. Because they refer to seeing to Rand. Yeah it was it was middle of the night to the morning. Yeah early. early hours. hours in the morning. Yeah.
0: And I get the sense more came yes straight from Rand.
3: Yeah. That's yeah. why she's all worked up. Yeah. yeah. Alright. And uh okay, so that's also why the Elaine is still all fever eyed up about hearing about Berlane. There's not been any time between that yet. She oh, was no. scantily clothed going to see yep. the Lord Dragon. And she had a glance inside
0: the room to see what state Rand was in as well when Moraine went in there to heal him. So she's pretty shook up. Mm. Um. So Elaine says as much, she says that um, Berylaine was in Rand's chambers. Moraine starts to lecture Elaine or Egwene on the fact that um, she has no future with Rand saying, look, you know, Egwene, I didn't want you to hear this way. Still thinking that, you know, like, the Egwene-Rand dynamic is the romantic dynamic that she needs to manage here, saying oh, that, you know, to the pattern. No, no, she hasn't picked up on this at all. Um, but the real exchange here is between Egwene and Elaine, who are now sort of like confronted by, okay, we have to talk about Egwene's relationship with Rand and Elaine's desired relationship with Rand. Um, but Egwene speaks up straight away in response to Moiraine uh, saying, I love him like a brother, and she says to Elaine, and I love you like a sister. I wish you well of him. And Elaine is obviously delighted by this. And Egwene is surprised to smile herself. Like she she said it out loud and she finds herself actually believing it as well. And she asked Moraine, you know, if she's ever been in love, you know, like sort of saying, like, what, what would you know about this sort of thing? But without any surprise on her face, Moraine says she knows the face of her future husband better than either Egwene or Elaine do. Does dun, she? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> well, does she says she? so, and she can't lie.
3: So, yes. Well, what you think is real is not a lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, well, Vil, I, I get what you're coming at. Like, does y- you are speculating, is this face that Moraine is referring to Tom. Tom's face? hmm I think she does know, and I think Min told her. Okay. Fair enough. I can go with that. Min has got secret skills. She's known Min for a for long, long time.
1: time.
0: Mm. Aes Sedai always have auras and visions mm. and stuff around them. And Min has also met Tom and seen Tom. Or has she? Uh, and Balon, yes. Tom yeah, was the with him in yes. Balon.
3: But even it could have been before that that she said, oh, I see a man, you're going to marry a man with a big white moustache and he's going to be a senior man, a gentleman.
1: <laughs>
3: and
0: he's and got a, a cloak. Patch, patchwork cloak <laughs> and holding a harp and all that stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, that's because so far we've seen nothing between, I mean, we're sort of looking for little hints of romance between Tom and Moraine, but there's been nothing conclusive. And for Moraine to make this statement about not just like, you know, being interested in Tom, but like marrying him yeah. mm. um, is, is pretty bold. And I, th- I feel like the only way that that could be is thanks to a men viewing. So the girls are suitably shocked, right? Mm. Um, and they want to know more, but Moraine sort of just brushes it aside, but she sort of makes Nynaeve understand whoever this man is, it's not Lan, okay? Mm. Don't worry. Mm. Nynaeve is not impressed. And brings the conversation back to matters at hand. She's like, when you guys are done talking about men, can we talk about this interrogation and everything? And um, she just keeps com- complaining about Moraine interfering. And basically what she says, like don't hit me in the ankles with a broomstick or something along those lines, like some even feel saying. Mm. Um, so Moraine gives her such an icy stare that Elaine feels she could, she should intervene and explains that, why they were summoned earlier uh, to check in on Rand and that he required healing. And that sort of like brings everyone back into the present moment and yeah. back to sanity. Nynaeve and Egwene are shocked and Moraine gives them a pretty dispassionate report on the bubble of evil events. And so Nynaeve challenges Moraine about being able to help Rand learn to channel so that he can at least defend himself better. But Moraine insists that she can't help a man. Um, Saitin is too different birds and fish, blah, blah, blah. It's the story we've been beaten over the brow with a number of times, but I think it's mentioned here again, specifically to set up the later chapter when Egwene and Elaine go to Rand and do try to actually see if they can learn anything about how male channeling works. So after Moraine sort of just says, nope, there's nothing I can do for him, Egwene changes the subject and asks Moraine about, you know, so what is he being so stubborn about? What is this thing that has sort of set you off and Moraine tells him that she needs Rand to act. Otherwise, he's just going to be a sitting duck. Um, not just to the Forsaken, but the, even the Terran lords. You know, they're not not—they're going to sort of forget why they fear him and will eventually start plotting against him, as we see again in chapters to come. It's already started. And she needs Rand to be proactive instead of reactive. So Nineveh responds with, yeah, I bet you've got a plan for him, don't you? And... All three of the girls actually become quite demanding of Moraine saying yeah what is your plan with him then like I mean if you've got all the answers tell us what you want him to do so long story short she wants Rand to lead Tyr to war against Ilian. and notably Samael and the girls are just aghast right but Moraine makes Elaine explain and Elaine has to concede okay look coming from a royal upbringing, this politically actually does make sense because war is going to come anyway. Mm. And with Tyr and Ilion both under his control, Rand can resist armies from other nations led by Forsaken, who have set up shop in other nations. Um, And also the fact that with the armies of Tyr and Ilion together, Rand has a force that would require the alliance between all the other nations to match in size and efficacy. So Tyr and Ilian clearly have the biggest armies, and maybe that's as a result of them always being at each other's throats and being neighbors. Um, But, you know, that would give Rand a sizable advantage on any battlefield. Um, And Moraine also says that the part that Elaine left off is that it will actually cement the Terrans and ilyon to him. Um, giving him this super strong army that would be almost impossible to wrest um, control away from him. He'll also give the Forsaken some pause. You know, they um, they won't just think of him as a farm boy that they can just come at, you know, with whatever army, like Ravin from from Camelon, right? So He'll have armies to protect him and they'll sort of have to be a bit more strategic. They won't just come at him straight away. Um, and Moran even says that Rand needs to be the hammer not the nail, which is a pretty brutal truth to to accept. And her frustration comes from, instead of doing any of this, he reads. He reads himself deeper into trouble. Um, He's trying to educate himself on the prophecies of the dragon. And then Moraine quotes a verse from the prophecy that seems to be relevant here. Let me read that quickly. Power of the shadow made human flesh, weakened to turmoil, strife, and ruin, The reborn one, marked and bleeding, dances the sword in dreams and mist, chains the shadow sworn to his will from the city lost and forsaken, leads the spears to war once more, breaks the spears and makes them see truth long hidden in the ancient dream. So Moraine's interpretation of this is, Ilion under Samael is surely a forsaken city. We know that's not the case. Mm-hmm. The, the verse actually refers to Ruidin. Mm-hmm. Uh, lead the Terran spears to war. So, here is an out for Moraine, not interpreting leading the spears to war that I mentioned in the previous episode, like why she doesn't. She noticed that this is the Aiel, or Aiel yeah. being referenced. Um, apparently, Tyr also is their armies refer to the spears. They have lots of spear soldiers. The 50 men outside Rand's room are all also holding spears. But we know that's the Aiel. The chaining, she thinks, is chaining of Samael, but it's actually Asmodean, mm. I think. Um, and the ancient dream, she thinks, is the ancient dream of the dragon, uh, but I think it is the either the ancient story of the Ayu
3: that Rand encounters in the Ruridian terangrial Yeah, the breaking of the spears is obviously setting the story to them when he goes to Ridian. Mm-hmm. This breaking of the clans when there's the clan that separates. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, there's Moraine has got just a massive gap in yes, the huge. prophecies of the dragon and not having seen that this all ties together yet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So nice try, Moraine. Better luck next time. Zero out of ten
3: for her on this one. Well, <laughs> she, she, she's she's <laughs> trying it's, to interpret it with the knowledge that she has, um, and she's not she's not doing anything wrong. It makes sense if that's a, only knowledge that you have. So, but she's
0: also hard on Rand for trying to decipher it, and you know, if Rand decides to go to the waste based on the prophecies, then he has interpreted them interpreted them better than what she has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's the one. She's the one, sort of like shitting on him the whole time for reading about the prophecies. I and mean, even Lan and everyone else is like, "Look, man, he's just trying to figure out like what is like he is in the prophecies. Of course, he's going to read them to try and figure out what yeah. what to do about them." So Nynaeve feels quite sorry for him. Um, just saying that again, he's just desperate. But Moraine says that um, she's desperate too, almost de- desperate enough to, and then she trails off. Elaine won't stand for any more secrets. So she demands to know from Moraine. Okay, so what are you almost desperate enough to do? And Moraine tells them about the fact that in the great holding of the stone, there is the red stone archway that leads to the fins. Mm. At the mention of a tarangriel, Egwene instinctively touches her dream tarungril, uh, which she has now got a like a secret little Pocket four in her bodice, I think, or something like that. So she's always sort of touching it. Uh, and I thought it was interesting that Moraine doesn't know about it. It's still only Varen and Egwene. Mm. And I guess Joya.
2: I Joya says so. as much
0: when, when Egwene captures her in Teleron mm. So Moraine tells him that on the other side of the doorway, you can ask three questions that will get three true answers about the past, present, or the future. And Elaine immediately <laughs> says... This is what they need to plan the next move. But Moraine says, look, it's not as simple as that. Obviously, as always, uh, there are certain rules. And she sort of outlines a couple of rules like nobody can go through the arch more than once. Uh, you must ask all three questions and hear their answers before you try to leave. Uh, frivolous questions are punished. And anything about the shadow can be disastrous or even deadly. And she's just talking about like, how do you ask a question about the dragon reborn without, you know, the shadow being relevant? So can you mm. just ask that? Blah, blah, blah. Um, she sort of gives them a bit of a history, like where it came from, because they ask why the Terran lords are hanging on to these things if they fear the power so much. And apparently the first of Mayen traditionally had access to this to this archway. Like they, they had it in Mayen until one of the leaders had stepped through and used his one go and then used the archway as a bargaining tool with Tyr um, soon after that. And then a year after that, he was assassinated anyway. So Tyr just took the thing off him and, you know, it, it I- didn't... And put it in a room and never used it. (laughs) A very easily accessible room, I should add. Belol and 13 Black Arja sisters were in the stone for weeks. Didn't steal any more Terangril?
3: Well, did they even know it was there?
0: The girls talk about, um, you know, like going down there to see what was there in the great holding, which is a thing that people know about, right? The other great lords know about it. It's a known thing. And they confirm here, like in a sort of offhand line as well, it doesn't look like anyone had gone down there. Everything was still covered in dust. I mean, the, the great stone doorway itself, I don't think the, you know, dark friends would have been able to use because of their association with the dark. And if a question about the shadow or the dark one, you know, could result in death. They probably couldn't go through it. I don't think the Forsaken would try to even, you know, entertain the idea. But there were also other Terangriil there. Maybe it was too much effort because there's also just a load of shit down there that they (laughs) thought might be a Terangreal and it's just in storage. But I just thought, I mean, even Matt stumbles in there in a later chapter, he talks about going down there and checking it out and then running out again. Like, what am I thinking? You know, it's just like, okay, it's super easily accessible. But anyway, so, With all Moraine's warnings about the stone doorway, uh, they're basically back to square one. So, you know, the girls don't have anything else to do other than to interrogate the dark friends. Um, Moraine says, look, you guys have got three days to keep questioning them if you want to. But her advice is listen to Amiko and focus on Tanchiko. Forget about the Mazrum Taim thing because it would take more than the three of them to capture Taim or to free him if he's been captured by the sisters. It is just way high risk. She believes Amiko more. Her instincts tell her Amiko's is the one to follow. That's the lead you guys should be focusing on and that they should go to Tanchiko. And with that, she basically wishes them a good night and <laughs> strides out of the room. So the girls sit down with a cup of chilled wine and talk about men. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, Egwene mentions that um, the unsavory Lord Gabriel that seems to be sort of cozying up to more gaze uh, sounds like trouble, but Elaine is sure that Matt must have been exaggerating because Morgas is way too shrewd to be taken advantage of like that. But the majority of the discussion really is spent talking about Rand and um, how how Elaine can claim him and chase off Berylaine. Nineveh reminds Elaine that they don't know how long Rand has before he goes mad. A year, maybe two, which is Confronting, like even for us who have read the series, or for me at least, I was like, "Oh shit, that's right!" Like he could be like going mad in a year or two. Like that is around the corner. It's been more than a year since they've left Eamonts Field. Yeah, it's already a little bit mad. Let's be let's be honest. Yeah, no. <laughs> He's been mad a long time ago already. Mm. But Elaine is resolute, right? She doesn't give, she doesn't care. She's a little despondent about the whole Elaine thing, but she's made up her mind. She, she loves Rand and she wants to do something about it. Um, and Egwene tells her, look, in the two rivers, there are things you can do to express your interest in a man, you know, put flowers in your hair and that sort of stuff. And she's not saying do exactly that, but you can you, you can sort of make it known to him how you feel. This isn't the court at Cameland where, you know, you have to go through balls and, you know, specific rituals to to sort of proclaim that kind of feeling. Um, so Elaine says, okay, well, she doesn't say it, but she resolves to tell him outright how she feels. And Nynaeve is sort of worried about it and says, you know, what are you going to do, Elaine, when in three days, those other two dark friends are shipped off and we have to make a decision about what we are going to do. Are you going to stay with Rand or are you going to come with us? If we go to Tanchico, are you going to come with us? And Elaine doesn't even bat an eyelid. She has a duty. She wants to become an die. Her feelings mm-hmm. aside, she has this, this duty that she has to fulfill. And um, she assures them don't worry i'm with you guys i'm coming um and they end the chat on sort of like a somber note and the hard realization that nobody knows the events of the coming months you know they don't know if it's going to be another year even until the last battle like everything is ramping up and um, nothing is certain and nine says to says to elaine you know it's it's not the time to sit idle if you sit and wait for what you want you might not see it this side of the grave. Which is, you know, <laughs> a good spur a good spur to action for Elaine. Like you don't know how long Rand is gonna stay sane. We don't know if we're gonna be alive a year from now. Don't sit and wait for what you want. Get it. You should do it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Come That's with me. Yoink. So another good talky one. Hmm. Talky, 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 lots of talkiness. Mm. Did you guys want to add anything to that? I mean,
3: no, Lorraine uh, so. is uh, <laughs> clearly at this uh, stage falling behind the asking rate. Um, and she's grabbing a little bit at straws. Like she knows a few things, and like, but you don't always reach for the hand grenade first. You you see if there's a MacGyver plan to get yourself out of this. So I think she's starting to reach a bit. She's getting flustered.
1: Mm. She's
0: probably tired of being reactive the whole time. In the eye of the mm. world, like, oh, every it, shit's happening at the eye of the world? Let's go be there. We said this last time as well, I think, or pr- in a previous episode. Like, oh, uh, everyone's talking about Tome and Head. The watches over the waves. Uh, I, I guess. like, Let's go be over there. I don't know what's going to happen there. I'll just go and try and be prepared. Mm. Oh, everyone's having dreams about Kalandor? I guess Rand is going to go take this. And Rand's run off to Tyr? I guess this is what we're doing now. And, yeah. like, as to, like... Sneak into the stone and start bale firing Forsaken to make sure Rand doesn't die. You know, it's she's so always funny on the back foot.
3: She doesn't. She's still on the back foot, but now she's just pressing Rand. Like, hey, it's been two weeks. Where are you going? Like, get you got to go somewhere. Let's get get moving. Yeah. I don't know where you're going. And as go. we find
0: out, the the Terran Lords are plotting against him already. So oh, yeah. you know, she's not wrong. Mm. I mean, uh, Moraine, Damadred of, yep. of Kyrian, You
3: know, she plays that game of houses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, look. Up there, she knows that is going to happen. But I mean, probably any noble knows that it's going to happen. There will mm. be there'll be power grab if it's stationary and it's not moving. And yeah. I think Ran is equally aware of it, and that's why he's keeping all these lords so heavily on their toes. He's being quite a dick to them, which is nice to see. Um, yeah. That's great because they are oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. He's he's really laying into them, but um, he wants to be a little bit of channeling parent uh, parents character yeah like he wants to be a thinky mm. boy for a bit like mm. let him be a thinky boy for a little bit yeah yeah
0: he wants to he, he doesn't want to just act and he certainly doesn't want to just go declare war against Ilian and Samile. Mm. <laughs>
3: no not at all i, th- no. I think the po- biggest part is that he also doesn't want to diminish what essentially is going to be the army that he needs at the final battle like yeah. putting the two biggest armies against each other inevitably means at least a huge loss of life, and mm-hmm. then what are you left with? Like mm. he hasn't, he doesn't have that that um, I'm the king of the kingdom type approach. He's, he's thinking no. of the bigger game. He's also constantly saying I have to do what
0: no one expects, and he includes Moraine in that. Mm-hmm. You know, like he wants to just completely catch
3: everyone off guard which he you know, does it's when you really get stuck in life and this is good life advice for all of our listeners out there and you really don't <laughs> know what to do next with your life always get a tattoo but and that's what Brad's gonna do just <laughs> get some tattoos get a blood and ashes tattoo <laughs> <laughs> blood and
0: bloody ashes why don't you <laughs> Alright, let's soldier on then to chapter 7 called Playing with Fire. Take it away, Jody.
2: Yo. So yeah, Egwene and Elaine have decided at the end of your chapter, we're going to go tell him right now, this very second. So yeah, they are outside of <laughs> Rand's door. They're not they any just time. Just, oh. They've just had
3: Ooh. wine. They've just had wine. A little bit
2: tipsy. And it's morning. It's like some morning wine. Ooh, that's the best kind. Yeah, <laughs> the <Dachdronk. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> so off they go um, To the Lord Dragons chambers They have a plan It's actually a three point plan But we, we'll get into that as we go along It's it's way more complex than any kind of mat plan As we've previously seen They're getting plans don't
0: reach more than two points <laughs>
2: <laughs> If that
0: Get in the stone, save the
2: girls Yes, there you go So anyway, as they approach Stone dogs melt out of the shadows, like fades, I imagine. And scare the shit out of the girls. Like, they know that they're there. And yet, when they appear, they still go. I mean, Elaine even goes, she has a little gasp. Yeah. Like, they just, whoop. They they know they're there somewhere, but they don't know where exactly. So, anyway, um, they are there under the pretense of checking on Rand's wounds. Um, Gaul is there with them. That's the first time that that they've mentioned Gaul's. Age that I can remember, but they say he mm-hmm. must be like around Nynaeve's age, maybe a little bit older. And I always pictured him much older. Like, did you? Maybe, yes, I did not picture him in his in his mid twenties. You know. So anyway, I did. No, for me, this is new for me. Like he's he's a kid. Nice. Yeah. All right. Um. Yeah. So Gaul tells him like, yeah. Oh, you here to see his own. Yeah. Maybe his wounds are bothering him because he's been in a foul mood this whole morning. <laughs> like there was a bunch of lords in here earlier and Rand like physically picked one of them up and threw him out the door that he slid along the ground <laughs> uh-huh. and almost b- bumped into those those pretty carvings he calls the uh, the defenders of the stone. <laughs> <laughs> they are very good looking and they just stand there, so there must be carvings. <laughs> um, it was Lord Torian as well, who is not uh-huh. a minor lord. Um, So he got slid out there on his face, almost hitting the defenders. Bowling them mm-hmm. over, yeah, but literally by the scruff of his neck. Um, and of course that the Aiel think that these two Elaine and Egwene are full sisters, so they're not going to stop them going in anyway. The girls are very nervous that they won't won't let them in, but of course they're going to let them in. So they're like, oh, "Of course," I said, "I this way, please." So the room is cleaner than what they last saw. Um, the last time we got that I, I, Elaine got a peek in there, there was blood and everything was you know chopped up and on fire and broken glass everywhere so it's it's a slightly better but now there's just books lying around everywhere and let and rand is like lounging in a chair by the window uh with a book on his knee and i and i had this moment when i was reading this thinking oh how awesome is that if you could just live in a palace and have servants take care of your every need while you (laughs) hung out in your bedroom and read all day that sounds like a dream come true to me (laughs) it does no kids bothering you Uh, I'd like some chilled wine, please. And in in comes, anyway. (laughs) But then again, he does have other children. He has these uh, High Lords that are basically kids. Mm. So anyway, he hears them come in and he jumps up thinking it's again these High Lords sons of bitches. He's angry and he's like, what are you, oh, it's you guys. Like, uh, how are you doing? You know, Um, and Egwene actually notes something when she looks at his face. She notices that like how much harder he looks. Uh, He's not the boy from Emma's field. And... This is noteworthy as well because I think he's just had to deal with so much shit in the last 2 weeks. You're saying he's only been in the stone like 2 weeks. Mm. Cuz previous to that he was running around. We didn't get to see him a lot. He was always ahead doing his own little missions. He was
0: hardly missions. sleeping. Hardly sleeping. He was hunted.
2: Yeah. So all these things that have happened to him now, he's he is badass. You don't want to you don't want to fuck with this guy. Mm. Um they make a note several times to mention that Kalando is there resting on a very gaudy looking stand. Uh I, I can't picture how gaudy it could be, <laughs> but it's very gaudy people. Diamonds, my mind also
3: just slides right off it. And little dragons doing stances and lions roaring and emerald eyes <laughs> and silver inlays and written script of here hangs the Kalando of power. <laughs> okay. There you go. Cool.
2: Maybe we've got some ducks flying on the back of it or something. Probably. <laughs>
3: The herons so. wading through the rushes. <laughs> hmm.
2: Probably. Uh, he apologizes to, for barking at them. That's he, he, He's happy to see them. But he is immediately like, wait, what are you doing here? What do you want? Because he's just so suspicious of everyone. And that's that hardness. And, and rightly so. I mean, the poor guy has been hunted for several months. He's currently being hunted uh, as well. Not that it's written here, but you know he is. By Berylane. By Berilay, yeah, <laughs> and She's totally done with him. and the High Lords no, and the Forsaken. She,
3: whatever yeah. sl- uh, slick trick she had up her sleeve has gone completely. Pass. She's off it. Yeah. yeah,
2: moving on to the next one.
3: So their plan is in three parts.
2: Uh, part one is let's see what we can do about helping Rand channel. All right. Mm. So, you know, of course, they haven't seen each other for a while. So they get a little bit of reminiscing about, uh, they reminisce about the boys getting drunk at 13 on brandy. Like, whoa, these kids in the country, you know, (laughs) they go hard. Um, They do. Yeah. Throwing bowls at Nynaeve's head. Ah, good times, you know, good times. Getting drunk, throwing things at people's heads. As you do in the country, there's really nothing to do in Emmonsfield. So this is what you do. Um mm-hmm. that bowl throwing incident was Egwene throwing a bowl. So she's like, no, 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 we don't need to talk about old times. Let's get down to it.
1: Um <laughs> so
2: he asks, what they can help with. You know, it's like, well, you want to help me, but you know, you know, what can you help with? I got a list of things I need help with. Number one, can you make these High Lords listen to me? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I don't think anyone can do that. Uh he also mentioned something about unwanted dreams. and he's, he's still not got warding his dreams at this point? Hmm, guess not. Yeah, it must be. He also has like, also, I can also use help with, and then he looks at Elaine and Egwene and cuts short. Help with what, man? Finish the damn sentence.
3: Well, uh, I'll cut in there. Um, sure. Unwanted dreams. The last dream Rand had to deal with was a little uh, bit of a morning glory dream with uh, yeah. the two women that were in that dream. All we needed was men there and it would have been the party. Um, no, yeah. men was I mean, there. So no. sorry. Men was no, there. No, in the yes. room with him. Yeah. No, i mean, the room right um, now. In the right. room, I mean, in the room yeah. with them right now, yes. But uh, that's where I think he trailed off there. like, all oh, right. Uh-oh. I need help choosing between
2: yeah. the two of you. The three of you?
3: Uh, right. <laughs> okay, perhaps it's
2: that. Oh, yes. And do any of you need n- know the old tongue? Because he gets all excited. Like, oh, you were in the tower? You studied old tongue? And he's like getting the books out. Translate this to me. They're like, no, 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 sorry, mate. We, we're we studying other things. <laughs> and we were only literally in the tower for like four and a half days. So he didn't mm. quite get to... Chapter two, the old tongue in our studies. I think Elaine learned some, though. Elaine learned some in Camlin. Probably, probably. Yeah, and between the pot scrubbing and the, and the black Aja hunting and the running away several times, we didn't have time to study the old tongue.
0: I think as part of Elaine's royal upbringing, she mentions that she did get old tongue training. Yeah. Uh, but decided not to mention it. All right. I don't recall that from this chapter. But anyway could be making that up
2: <laughs> it's a possibility um when they tell him that they're there to help him channel he gets suspicious again and he's like did Mo- didn't moraine send you or you're sure moraine didn't send you because this is the same thing and this is what in between these two chapters Morris's chapter and this chapter now it made me think like that's why moraine is so pissed off it hasn't just been since then she's been there since the attack it's because moraine's just come from the room trying to convince rand to go to war And he's like, no ways. That's why she gets to the room with the girls later on, is angry, and is explaining about the war, because Rand brings it up here. He says, I'm not going to do that plan. And they're like, no, no,
0: no, we agree. That's a shit plan. See, I didn't think that the girls came to Rand's room immediately after the conversation they had. Really? That's the impression I I I just didn't think that that was what happened. All Um, right. That doesn't mean that's not what happened <laughs> <It's just laughs> the impression that i had gotten because right. there seemed to be some prep like elaine had gotten some jewels from avienda who seemed to have a whole bunch of them she was uh, sort of dressed up yeah. she had her hair done up
2: okay so maybe they waited a day and in between that break is when moraine went to around to tell him like you should start a war. that's that's the best plan for now mm. and he was like no i'm not doing that okay mm. all right uh that could also be but you know. yeah, they they's definitely needed some time for planning because this is a three-step plan. There are shawls and jewels involved that needed to be, and hair to be done. That mm-hmm. takes time. All right. So um, they convince him, of course, that there's no conspiracy. You know, there's no uh, twisty Isodai plot because is like, I'm not getting involved with you guys if you're going to bring your Isodai plots here. And they're like, no, 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 no. We want to just, we honestly want to help you with, uh, with channeling uh, with, in whatever way we can. We understand it's, you know, What's it? Birds and fish. But we're going to give it a mm-hmm. shot anyway. So uh, they want to see, of course, if Rand can see them channeling or can see the glow or whatever, so they embrace the flows. But there's, there's nothing. Of course, he doesn't see anything whatsoever. Uh, she reaches out as well. There's a point here where she reaches out with flows of healing to his wound and literally recoils in in disgust and and fear. And she's just amazed as well that, like, how can he stand that level of pain? And that's something we mentioned earlier. And that comes up later. (laughs) Time travel jumps that when they bond him, they, they, they're immediately like, Oh my God, how can you stand upright with all this pain? And it's, that's something you got to take into account as well. Like it's constantly hurting Mm -hmm. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So if he's grumpy, cut him some slack. Yeah. So yeah. Amongst other things that are in his life. So that wound is incredibly painful. She says it's like, it seems like it wants to suck all the light in the world into it. Like any flow she throws in there, it just absorbs it and does, you know, nothing happens. So it's, it's evil and painful. She also, she tells Rand that, look, you've got to be as strong in the power as I am, like at least, right? Like you and I should be on the same level because we're pretty strong and la la la. Uh, so like, uh, (laughs) he must feel something, you know, and, uh, what he says is, what I can feel is goosebumps. Uh, is this the first time we get that in the books? I think so. Yeah. So well, this is where we discover that he, that. I,
3: I think where he puts it one and one together. Because Matt knows. He knows when they're channeling. Matt, Matt was like, goosebumps, what are you doing? Like, you're channeling, no, you're doing something. Only a man who can channel can feel that.
0: Yeah.
2: Matt, Matt no. can't feel it. Not yeah. all men on planet Earth. Mm. Mars keeps saying yeah, yeah, but who are you saying yeah to? Me or Vili? I'm agreeing with
0: Jody. It's <laughs> yeah. a it's a channeler that can sense another channeler.
3: Yeah, it's a, but only male channelers can sense female channelers. But not vice whenever versa. There's been and I'm referring to being channeled into.
0: Um, yeah, well, that's vastly different from <laughs> yeah. being channeled around. You'll notice that anyone okay, will. Yeah,
3: right now, Iguin was prodding his wound with healing. No, no, she was only embracing the source. Yeah, sorry, I should have been clearer.
0: She doesn't, she embraces it and then lets it go. And then she asks Rand about it again. And he says, I've got the goosebumps again, but I'm not, but she's not channeling. And she sort of smiles because Elaine is, has embraced the source. Yeah. So okay. they do the double blind All placebo right. control hmm.
2: uh, experiment. And then they find out that, yeah. So this is an actual thing. Like, well, now we can confirm that you can feel when a woman channels, but they don't feel anything. They don't see anything. But of course, he confirms as well, he can't see any of the flows. But. Uh, she asks him to to embrace Saidin then to see if they can you know sense a man channeling or whatnot and the first thing he does is use a flow to pinch her butt and I was just thinking fuck <laughs> classy
0: rant
2: classy uh but he is going insane so we'll give him <laughs> it's his madness just just blame it on the madness so elaine also channels uh and returns the favor to him a hundredfold i mean she hurts the shit out of him to get him back for what he did,
0: he limps.
2: He limps afterwards. Afterwards, yeah. and he 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 name drops our our uh, podcast several times as well. You know,
1: thanks, <laughs> thanks
2: Rand. Shout out to Rand, propping up the show. Um, they give him some shit about being childish and telling me you know like to do something, and I was like, <laughs> this just brought me back immediately to. Uh, to uh, Thor, you want me to put the hammer down? It's like I'll show you. It's like <laughs> that exact same scene. So they're like, "Come on, like do something," you know, do, like not something stupid, like pinching our butts. Like we need you to do something. So he gets angry because they've just hurt him as well, and he goes, "I'll show you what I can do." So he lifts both of them up into the air. He shields them at the same time. Some st- some tables in the room start walking around and dancing. Fire and flares dancing up in the jig. fireplace. Dancing a jig. There's lots of jig dancing. There's a metal statue on top of the uh, on top of the fireplace that starts melting and coming into fine, fine strings. It's made out of gold and silver. So it turns into like a cloth. He weaves a cloth out of melted metal. You know, it's like insanity. I'm wondering if there's if there's a little George Martin nod, here because that statue is of a stag and a lion. <laughs> and a, oh, sorry, a stag and a wolf. Not a stag and a lion, a stag and a wolf.
0: Could and be, I, like, I mean, they were friends.
2: Yeah, they were buddies. So I thought I'm wondering if, if Martin stole it from here <laughs> or if he put it in just to like say to his buddy, like, hey, check it out. So uh, into fine strength, yeah, and he weaves that cloth and then he begins shouting as well because now he's really losing his shit. And he's shouting, mm-hmm. you know, do you know how it feels? Like the taint, you know, you want me to do all this stuff, but how it feels, the taint, the madness. At, at that point, he's screaming and they're still up hanging up in the air. The tables burst into flame. Those jig tables are now no, no longer doing a happy jig. There's books flying mm-hmm. around the room. The bed explodes again. <laughs> uh, later on, he mentions, like, I don't think they're going to give me another bed. Like, <laughs> a better day is their limit. Rance seems to, like, realize what he's doing at this point. Uh, when beds explode, that's usually when he comes back to his senses. Um, and he lets go, uh, of course, lets go of everything and everything drops to the floor. And the fires go out. Um, Elaine and Egwene like fall to the floor as well, and just like are clutching each other out of fear and also for support, and just like holy shit, uh, Egwene takes this opportunity to tidy up a little with flows of air. <laughs> I was like, there are other things to do. Woman, she plucks the feathers that came out of the exploding bed into with air and uh, and puts them back on the bed in a nice little pile, um, and, and realizes, holy shit, Rand is way way stronger than me. Like my initial assumption. That we're both pretty close. I mean, he's even stronger than Nynaeve when she's angry. Like, so she might come close. Nynaeve might come close. But
0: otherwise, we're nowhere near this guy. Egwene has a little bit of a sense of self-importance through this chapter. She does. Which we'll we'll get back to as well. Yes. So... um,
2: after all the madness, they decide. Well, okay, now we're going to sit down. Let's just have a sit, sit down and have a calm little chat. <laughs> um, there's there's some books on the chairs that they have to move off. And I thought interesting to mention the names that one of them are the, the titles of these books. Is the Treasures of the Stone of Tear? So he's looking mm-hmm. for something, perhaps uh, a twisted doorway of kind. Uh, then the second book that they mention is Travels into the Aiel Wastes. Into the Waste with mm-hmm. observations on the savage,
3: the savages.
2: Yeah, on the savages. And then another one is dealings with uh, the tr- the territory of Mayin. So all three things mm. that we were talking about anyway, and that are be of importance, are here. Mm. So he's already formulating a plan, because like at the end of this podcast, he's got a plan already, which he knows what he's yeah. going to do. So I think he's already figured it out here, the, the surprise that no one's going to expect. Mm. So they talk a little bit about the differences. They talk about em- embracing the source, and uh, talk about the differences, and they ask him to embrace the source, and he's like, "Embrace? Like, no, 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 no. no it's no. wrestle. Like, <laughs> yeah. If I, you know, if I had to let, like, like, surrender to the to the one power, it would scour me away. It would kill me. So that's the, We get a nice little breakdown here. Yeah, Not something that we all know already about the differences, but I think this is where it's nicely broken down for us for the first time. This embrace and wrestle. Um, he tells him about the flame and the void. And he even mentions, yeah, that Celine mentioned it. He was just some somebody I met once, and ironically, they met her as well. Um, and she'll be back pretty soon, um, calling mm-hmm. it the oneness. Egwene um, I- explains that the rosebud and surrendering. So they've all got these similar techniques on how they do that, and that they should. He should try that, <laughs> like surrendering to the rosebud. And he's like, no, 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 no. There's no surrendering to that. And they talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, controlling the, you know, how how he has to wrestle the flows where they have to surrender and blah, blah, blah. So they talk a little bit more about similarities and differences. And then Rand's like, all right, well, I suppose that's the end of that then. Thanks for coming. Uh, I've got some high lords that I need to box around the ears for a little bit and tries to get them to leave. Um, And then, of course, it's time for part two of Elaine and Egwene's plan, where Egwene tells Rand that she doesn't love him anymore. Like, like that. And that she doesn't mm-hmm. want to get married to him anymore. And it's it's kind of like a... Like, I don't know, some sort of teen romantic comedy. Moritz, you're the specialist in this area. But, like, yes. he's trying to tell her that... He's, oh, I would be thinking the exact same thing. And she's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, bro. Like, I'll let you down easy. And he's, like, thinking, yeah, yeah, okay. I'll let you down easy. You can hide your mm. feelings from me. And they both have the exact same feelings. And they both think that the other person is kind of lying. Just to not hurt their feelings yeah. too much. and Blah, blah, blah. But... There's there's a lot of like the, they're very, very relieved that eventually that's out of the way and they both feel the same about each other, which leaves Egwene in a good position to then leave the room on her ace. Um mm-hmm. and that's basically how the chapter ends.
0: Yeah. It's that's what I was talking about with um Egwene's sense of self-importance. Like she seems mm. convinced, like it's impossible that he wouldn't be hurt by this and in love with me, and I'm really letting him down. Now. Ah, yes. And I think maybe, you know, because I identify more with Rand as a man than yeah. with Egwene, I'm a bit, like, indignant about it. Like, how dare you? He said he's <laughs> fine. Listen to his words. He doesn't have so so Didn't they have this conversation in Faldara? Yes, they did. I think
2: they were interrupted. Like, it wasn't a private no. conversation. No?
0: No. They were, well, they were in the hallway. And like, it was after one of, like, the, mm. like, Rand stormed into the women's apartments or something, and they had a conversation there. But they did...
3: Yeah, she's going say, to the tower and he's over. going to do his thing. And mm. it's basically, it's not going to uh, be an option. But now yeah. I want to go back to Rand's dream. Yeah. When he dreamt about having a threesome in a hot tub. <laughs> and you still said, was this <laughs> uh, Gwen in the uh, flip, like in his dream, or was she walking the world of dreams? That's uh, yes. why so I said, like, nah, that's that was just. Her in his dreams. Um, he dreamt she, that Egwene. Yeah. That wasn't actually Egwene. Yeah, mm, yeah. I, because I this agree. sort of this to
0: I've been looking out for it. Well, I've been looking out for mm. it to see if, if he mentions or she mentions anything about having seen him already dreaming about Min and Elaine swimming naked in the waterwood. Uh, but she never thinks that or mentions mm. anything about it. Yeah, there's nothing. That so that's that
3: that kind history. of nah. stuck to me in the back of the head there. But uh, yeah, yeah. Good up for your Green, throwing a sister, a bone. We can take the pin out of that one.
2: Mm. Just keep it handy, Moritz, that pin. We're going to need it in a few minutes. <laughs> I, got
0: a, I got a bucket of
2: pins here, buddy. And, <laughs>
0: <Yeah. laughs> um, Vil, just your comment earlier about, like, having someone sense channeling around them before. I think I, I'm with you. Like, yeah, I think that Rand has... Sensed people channel around him when he's talking about like he has a cold shiver or like Even he feels his down skin prickling or something like that. The
3: very first channeling that happened when they fled the two rivers on the horse and Bella got um, uh, Moraine yeah. healed the yeah. horses except for Bella, which he willed mm. on himself. Yeah, He felt a shiver go over him. He, mm. he picked it up, but Matt also picks it up. He distinctly also, but Matt doesn't channel. That's why I'm saying that. Like, when uh, does Matt
1: pick that yes, up? Yes, when oh, he was
3: healing and uh, one of the Aes Sedai the tower came to him and touched his forehead, then he kind of immediately feels it, like you channeling. Landfear. No, no, it was one of the Aes Sedai, not Lanfear. Like, uh, just um, pr- uh, Yeah, well if they channel into that. you, then yeah, you're gonna feel it. Anyone
2: will feel it. i uh, am just like when, when a, mm. the, the thing is he can sense when a woman
0: embraces the source, is that it? Or only when yeah. she starts using flows? I think when she embraces the source, it's it's the equivalent of the woman seeing the glow. Yeah. Okay.
3: All right. Well. The, okay. There's the, there's a little bit of overlap there in the sense that obviously Rand had the ability to channel, mm. therefore he could have uh, felt what was happening at that time, and he was the yeah. only one that did as well. The only thing is Matt have already started association when there's being channeled at him, like he can feel that.
0: Matt certainly can feel when flows
3: are being channeled mm. into
0: him, especially for like healing. And that sort I mean, that's a very obvious one. Oh, he's point. been healed so, so many Matt, times. Matt is <laughs> also just a natural skeptic. Like he's super suspicious mm. of the Aes Sedai. He's like, are you channeling at me? Are you channeling? You know, like that's <laughs> sort of, he assumes that they are all the time. Uh, and his, his whole, um, attitude towards Aes which also come out in these chapters um, the the thing that he asks of the Finns that give him the foxhead medallion he says he wants to be done with him he doesn't want anything to that's why they give him the foxhead medallion so that no one can channel at him anymore mm-hmm. either like his whole thing is don't channel at me or near mm-hmm. me or anywhere around me so yeah, maybe there is some like foreshadowing of sort of that sentiment yeah before but I think that the mechanism that is trying to be conveyed here that Robert Jordan is trying to sort of establish is the equivalent of two channelers that female channelers that can see mm. the glow around each other. For a male, it presents as goosebumps instead of seeing okay. the glow because they can't see the glow. I, th- I think the, that what is that's that's what yeah. he's trying to establish here to use later as
3: like, oh, he can send someone channeling. Mm. What uh, Jody, just to pick up, and I am still on it that they went straight from the meeting to Rand because Moraine at that says that they have four days until the boat arrives. And after that, there's still four full days until they're going to be leaving. Three days. <laughs> the fourth day, going to the fourth day at the the end of it. But it's not like we've got four days, and then the next day, like we got three days, and it was only two days. Then that they hung out, and uh, stole secret kisses in the passageway. So I still believe they went straight from the that. Whether they just passed their chambers and dollied themselves up, I mean, that would be a very Elaine thing to do. She is, after all, the princess heir. She's not going to go and.
0: They right. also had
3: to go to Avienda's room because they comment on the fact that she had
0: a whole bunch of stuff that they didn't expect to see. Oh, uh, yeah, she got some an, jewels from there, an yeah. IEL.
1: Mm.
3: Okay,
2: Avienda's already preparing for her wise one transition.
0: Is she?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: She she knows it's inevitable because <laughs> they're already giving her shit about it. Also, hadn't Moraine and Elaine just come back from a healing rant? Yes. He's already got a new mattress. He's sitting in his chair reading. Okay, it's so there exactly... was some
3: time, but it's the same day. <laughs> <laughs> really, <laughs> yes, is... I, I know
0: what you're saying. There's very few days that they're mm. working. There's, on, there's not I'm a day sure gap. That...
3: There's not a sleepy time gap between.
0: No, but all the sort of canoodling and the time that they spend together and stuff is, I think, referred to as three days.
3: I mean, there? if you if you if you inhabit the king's quarters. Then after nights of sleepiness, you'd have new mirrors hanging. The mirrors wasn't hanging. It was just cleaned. And they're like, mm. well, get the man a mattress. It's still morning time. You never know. You might want to go mm. back to bed. Uh, and hence, he's not going to get two mattresses in one day.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Stop.
3: <laughs> Veli is the king. It is undisputable. I I am the Rand now. <laughs> Indisputable. <laughs>
0: Egwene mentions that she's felt something woven by Sidin once before.
3: What was that? hmm Who says it? Egwene. Egwene. In this chapter. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, can't I don't tell you. know.
0: Well, what happened at the eye of the world? Does Aganor shield her?
1: Mm. She right.
0: tries to reach for the source, but she's so like. Mm novice at that stage she can't do it she's sort of like helpless she tries to reach for it and she can't channel i think is what happens at yeah. the eye she um, got it but Aganor might have sensed that she can channel and just shielded her
3: and she got a, a hell of a fright there sort of prodding rand in his soft side and mm-hmm. then he just picks the two of them up shields him blocks the ties it off makes the table dance do a jig and i melts think a metal, i think it's, wave wave a, wave a carpet
0: <laughs> yeah. When she's um when she is shielded by Rand, I think that's when she mentions mm-hmm. having felt something created off Sidin before. Once before. She says once before. So listeners, let me know. When is, when is this other time that Egwene was um, experiencing Sidin? Throw us a bone. Rand explains that when he makes his weaves, it's like remembering something. Mm. So yeah, thanks, Louise.
3: Liu's doing all the channeling, Rand just being the body at the moment. Mm. But then once he's done it, he can remember it. He can see Except, it he's done. R- no, but he couldn't do it to Lanfia. Yeah. We'll get there. He forgets to du- tie He, he the, tried the to remember how to tie off the shielding against Lanfia in his quarters in the next chapter, or no, the, the the last chapter. Um, the shielding. He's like, how just, did I do it? I couldn't remember it. It's like he, he tried to and then just couldn't. Does he forget, or does he choose not to? No, he can't remember. No, he just couldn't remember. Mm, we'll get there. Okay, we're litigating the next chapter already. <laughs> yes. yes, we have. We've already. <laughs> skipped let's get to my that
0: chapter. Part. Like, <laughs> so, yes, let's get to that chapter. And that chapter is
3: Chapter Eight, called "Hard Heads." Vili, take it away. All right, ladies, pull up your wine glasses. Get that curly blanket, that fluffy one, out because the love story time mm-hmm. is here. <laughs> um, yeah, so Eguine is ducked out the room. Rand is muttering to himself, thinking and he's got to deal with And he turns around and he's uh, shocked to see that Elaine's still there. And him with her alone in a room, he becomes all princess courtesy, like my lady. And she puts him in his place and says, look, look, that's it. You call me Elaine right now to my face. you Rand, I'm Elaine. Otherwise, I'm going to start calling you the Lord Dragon. And uh, he's like, okay, cool, now I'll go with Elaine. And uh, she's quite, quite. Uh, now she's got butterflies doing tumble turns at this stage inside of her. She's really <laughs> nervous. Like, yeah, what if he doesn't feel the same, I suppose, and all that girly thoughts that go through. And she's not quite taken to this custom of uh, being like Barry Lane up front and... Being a go-getter. But she, she does and she says, like, Ran, do you like me? And Rand's like, Yeah, yeah, I like you. And she's like, Well, I'm fond of you. Now they're playing some word games. And Rand's like, Oh, you fond of me? And she tells him straight up, I want you to kiss me. <laughs> and he leans in and there's a cutscene, and she's now just hugging him, lying on his chest doesn't want to let go with his sturdy arms around him Um, definitely uh, not a rejection that happened in all of that but in saying like it doesn't have to be as formal as in the courts like I'm not asking you to betroth me I'm not I'm just saying like do we are we eye to eye and it seems that they are eye to eye it's, uh, Are they going steady? Good That's thing. all she wants to know. They, they just yeah, they're going steady. There's, they're not putting a label on it at this moment, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is quite quite nice of Elaine. I mean, being so, she's a farm boy. He's just a shepherd that knows how to tend to sheep. Uh, but uh, she's and the lady of the reborn. court and the, yeah. and the Dragon Reborn. I yes. also
2: would not put a label on it if my partner was going to go insane and kill everyone. Uh, that's for the moment.
3: Yeah. Let's just hang out and see where it goes. <laughs> let's just well, see where this goes. Yeah, <laughs> she's living for the good times, not the bad times, at the moment. And Indeed. That's how, yes. That's how one should live life—always for the good times. Don't look at the bad times or the concern or the worry mm-hmm. or any of that. There's there's good times to be had between now and my insanity or my mm-hmm. impending death. So more life, more that. life lessons from Villy. <laughs> yeah, and uh, well, they basically get to the point where she says, "Look, in four days, we are leaving." Um, we will be taking these Black Sisters back to the tower to the other 200 supporters that they have there, um, yeah. which makes total sense.
1: <laughs> the <laughs> and, best place uh, to take them. <laughs>
3: you'll, be, you'll be left over here. So they kind of get the idea that they're going to have a, a little four-day romance going there. Uh, she then goes and leaves his quarters after a little snuggle and a kiss and a huggle. And uh, <laughs> in comes the Lord's. <laughs> Uh, for a tax meeting. Now, we all hate tax, some more than others. <laughs> I don't like tax. I don't like no, talking no about does. tax. So Rand approaches this uh, topic with these lords um, at the same uh, vigor as I approach tax conversations. And he basically says to them, look, there will be none of this. You will not be taxing the farmers because they dig in the ground and grow like you will reduce their taxes by a full third and you're going to reduce the common peasants taxes by a half and but then they're like yeah but they'll just keep on farming and they're going to get uh where's all the grain going to go and it's like well that's a really good point kareen doesn't have any grain you will now negotiate with Berylane ships That will be done in payment of grain and send grain that way. Like this is gonna happen. I want this to happen. And I will have no this like no 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 terms or there's no discussion about it. Like get this working, get it into place, and shuns them out the room. So he's not allowing them to play Dias Dimar at all. He's put a stop to that there. But okay. Chapter cuts then to uh, Egwene that has now just left Rand's Quarters and Matt just happens to wander upon her, Um, planned or unplanned, not sure, but he falls in with her and walks but keeps quiet and she's like, hi Matt, hi, like, had a little laugh, like, have a little bit of a, a, a close moment from their childhood, I mean, that is still Matt and that is still Egwene. And he's like, look, I, uh, I, I, I need advice. Like, I think it takes a lot of him to get to that point where he's going to her. But he's not sure uh, what his next step should be. He wants to go, but he knows he's tied to Rand. And she's like, hmm, you no, know, what is it that you want? And he's like, I just want some answers. Like, it's, I've got these gaps in my memory. I've got these. I'm not sure where I fit into this puzzle. And I don't want to abandon the puzzle. But I'm stuck with the puzzle. And she's like, well, there is one thing that you could do. There's this there's this archway that is a Terangriel in the, uh, the dungeons. And that gives answers. But there's strict rules and you could die. But, you know, just as long as you speak to Moraine before you do it. But you can get answers there. Just Matt's like, what? Not... Not keen, not keen for anything to do with the power, but he remembers it and it eventually progresses to the point where he's walked down to that door to have a little look and then like, what am I doing here? I'm going to get out of here. But he is made to promise by Gwen that he will not do anything until he speaks to Moraine about it.
2: That sounds like a promise he won't keep <laughs> at all. Like,
0: It's a promise he doesn't make.
3: Yeah, but we'll get to that. <laughs> now, Matt is still somewhat angry at that stage with Iguain uh, because it turns out he was, um, against his will, held uh, by the ladies and he was liberated from the letter of the Amaryllin. That's like, you know what? If you asked yes. me, I would have given it to you. There's no reason for you to tie me up with air weaves and, and steal my stuff. As he puts and it, I
0: think Egwene thinks to herself, Well, they did ask, and he said yeah. no, no. So,
1: <laughs> okay,
3: uh, yeah, Matt being Matt, they had to Matt handle him. Uh, but yeah, so he's been relieved of his uh letter of um, what, what was the letter power. permission to do letter of power letter of authority, mm. yeah, and that's uh, pretty much that chapter. I mean. I wish I could do justice to the uh, to the intense unread words that was going on between Elaine and Rand, but uh, my words fail me, obviously.
0: <laughs> I've got a couple notes, Joe. Do you have anything to add there? You go for it, Moritz. More of this sense of self-importance from Egwene, like she's sort of thinking to herself as she's leaving Rand's chambers that um, – That Rand was obviously lying and acting strong, like um, he actually did want to marry her. Uh, It's what I said in the the previous chapter. But also here, when she thinks Matt's lip-curling stares at the nobles would have gotten him in trouble if she wasn't there. But she's only around him this time. He's been around there staring at people and curling mm. his lip at all of them, and he's been fine. So just relax, Higuain. Yeah. It's not your presence around him that's keeping him safe. He's been safe this whole time. So be quiet. Uh,
3: also, <laughs> it's reached the point where he doesn't have gambling partners anymore. <laughs> they don't want yeah. to gamble with them the lot.
0: Yeah, but I mean, she's not, she's not providing any sort of protection to him that he doesn't already enjoy. Um, but also when she... They're talking at one point, and then she tells him about the doorway, and then her very next thought is like, oh, Matt, show a little sense. When she's just blurted out this incredibly dangerous Terangrial secret that Moraine told them to sort of, you know, keep between them, um, she just blurted out to him. Now, I do have a theory about that. Matt is Taverin, and I think she blurted it out Against her will, but mm. to immediately think like, "Oh, Matt, show some sense." This is like annoying, you know. Like, no, Egwene, you show some sense.
3: <laughs> in short, we can basically say Egwene cost Matt an eye there.
0: I don't. Does he lose his eye in this first
3: one? I don't think he does. It go. He goes twice. Yeah, but is it the same archway, or is it a different archway? It's a different.
0: It's a different one. The one takes him to the elfin, and the other one takes him to the elfin. And mm. then he goes through the Tower of Genji for a third bite at the cherry. That's the third time is when he loses his eye. When does he get it hung? Ruidian. The second Ruudian. time he goes through a doorway.
1: Mm.
0: I think. I mean, this. <laughs> I, I said that with a lot of confidence Let's put again. some pins in those and just wait till we pin, get pin, 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 <laughs> pin. Just fire a nail gun and off pins at this at this statement. When Rand is meeting with the nobles or the high lords, he notices how they are not looking at each other, which he only notices because of a note that Tom had slipped into his pocket. He's like, take note of how these guys are not. It means they are, if they're not looking at each other, they have decided not to, which means they are colluding.
1: Mm.
0: I think it was two, two specifically in that note. Like
2: yes. High lord somebody yes. and high
1: lord
3: somebody. Right. Yeah. Salmon or... <laughs> t- seven
2: Min- Ma- or,
0: Malin or something yeah. something the two the two that he's later t- confronts with the with the treaty in the mm. next chapter. Rand straight up says that he likes Min as much as Elaine mm-hmm. so here he's had some like straight up romantic action with Elaine, which to my knowledge has not happened with men. They've just sort no. of spent time together in the mountains, right? And that was it. <laughs> that sounds um, like something, but, that was a, but but it isn't. Yeah. It was a it was a couple months. You know, it was a protracted period of time. That, that whole time, that whole winter they stayed in the mountains. They they were spending time together.
3: I bet you Rand is thinking about that dream and is thinking, geez, can I make this a possibility?
0: Could this really happen? <laughs> Matt's still sort of tossing out Rand's apparent madness without any hesitancy. He, he talks about like doing something before I go as mad as Rand.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> as if Rand is already mad.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> he just goes there all the time. He says here in this chapter is what I was talking about before. He wants nothing to do with Aes Sedai. He doesn't want to ask them for any kind of help or anything like that. And uh, the promise that he doesn't make is Egwene makes him promise. She says, do not enter that doorway without asking Moraine's permission. And Matt's response to that is I won't go near it unless my life depends on it. <laughs> Nothing about Moraine or asking permission or anything like that. And I think Egwene even has a sort of self-satisfied thought after that, like, okay, cool. Well, at least he won't do anything stupid, which I think is also a result of his Tavern nature. Like he's, he's, making her think that she's hearing what she wants to hear. But he, he didn't use her words at all. He's been
3: hanging around Aes Sedai way too long now. Words mm-hmm. out of my mouth, really. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's learned an Aes Sedai
2: answer. Now. That was it. Yeah.
0: Okay, so should we move on? Yep. Yeah. Where are we going now? Let's what get chapter? into it nine (laughs) where are we going (laughs) go to the waste oh yeah yes the next chapter is chapter nine called decisions this is a bit of like an interesting chapter we get almost like a montage of a couple characters before we sort Mm. of get to the main events (sighs) and so it says here three hot days before the next chapter so i'll summarize quickly um so matt struggles to find willing gamblers among the lords. He can't ever find Tom, but he's constantly running into Moraine. He once ventured, like you said, Vili, into the Great Holding to go find the doorway, but then he thought, I'm being a fool, and he scampered off again. Um, And he ends up gambling in the poorer districts, like the mall, and they mention another one, like a warehouse district, never able to quite bring himself to leave, for reasons that we know are directly linked to being Tverin uh perrin is also spending time in some of these like poorer taverns but he's not there to gamble he's looking for little bits of information and rumor that he could use to entice fayil into leaving tear like anything that could potentially lead to the horn of Valeria or any kind of uh adventure that he thinks might seem um attractive to her but this is a foolish venture i mean this is for all his thinking and plotting this is just plain dumb um he, he all he hears is like twisted rumors of the truth he hears some of the stuff from Falme, arthur hawking's army's returning and all that stuff that he knows is true and then he hears one thing about mazrum taim being caught in saldea and he thought maybe you know that that could be interesting to her that is her home country but he doesn't know how he could twist it into an adventure that would seem appealing to her and i think they mentioned briefly that fayil notices that he's spending time in these taverns but she isn't worried she's more like intrigued like what is he doing? Because she knows him, you know, she knows mm. this is not his thing. He's not going there, like he's not seeing anyone else. He's not gambling or anything. This is Perrin we're talking about.
3: He's not even drinking wine, he's drinking bad ale. <laughs>
0: no, he's such a straighty 180. Egwene and Nynaeve continue trying to pry something new from Joy and Amiko, but again to no avail. Uh, Avienda starts visiting Egwene and it turns out that they actually have quite a lot in common and they actually get along really, really well, even though they have massive cultural differences that they have to try and get over. Like, for example, uh, Avienda is shocked that she walks in on Egwene sitting in a bath. And it's not because she's nude. On the contrary, Avienda, to make her feel more comfortable, just gets naked and sits down. (laughs) It's because she's like neck deep in water. She's like, what is going on here? Um, and Egwene can't understand uh, Avienda's opinion that she and Elaine should have done something drastic about Berylaine a long time ago I think going so far as to allude that they should have killed her <laughs> you know, like she is not beating around the bush about Berylaine and what she thinks of she's, it she should uh, disappear
3: that was so great and she's like well you, you could you could do it in a fist fight but she looks like a woman that will come back and fight again so it's yes. better to take a so knife. So use than a spear <laughs> or a knife.
2: Yeah, yeah she, I think
3: she like <laughs> knives are better. She
2: prefers knives. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, I love Avienda. I love the the maidens. I love the Aiel. They are just mm. so great. Every time they speak up in any of these chapters, this is like yes, <laughs> just <laughs> totally undermining and um, you know like throwing a cat among the pigeons for the for the wetlanders. Um Nynaeve spins much of her time with Lan, as much as she can for moonlit walks on the on the on the city battlements or whatever it is, uh, cooking him dinner. And I think Egwene or someone mentions that Nine is not known for her cooking, but she's still insisting on cooking him, like cooking him food or his favorite meals. And all of her wardrobe has sort of taken on his favorite colours suddenly yeah. and all the other colours have disappeared. And Elaine spends much of her time uh with Rand, as much of it as she can. Uh, they're sort of stealing kisses whenever they can. They seem to know exactly where to go uh, to, to escape the prying eyes. And for, you know, for what it's worth, it sounds like it's actually quite a, a lovely couple of days for them.
2: Yeah.
3: The calm before the storm. Mm-hmm. Don't the maidens of the spear uh, tell her where yes. there's good little spots and give him like, he's alone now. He's, he, yes. And when him. he's
0: alone, the maidens are in there. Love them. God damn it. Yeah.
3: They're great. Mm. <laughs>
1: um.
0: Elaine also gives him a bunch of tips on how to rule, and uh, in their conversations, he takes a surprising amount of what she says to heart and actually enacts some of it, which is great. Mm. Uh, she, at one point, he he asks her, you know, if he can give her credit or something for it, and she says, no, 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 no. Here's another tip: a ruler accepts advice but never gives away credit. It must always seem to come from you, which is, you know, one of those. Uh, what we learn about in sort of fantasy and medieval writing, right? Like how ruthless you have to be as a King, like the whole concept of a monarchy and being a King is Mm -hmm. so foreign to us uh, that characters we like say things like this, you know, like Elaine is saying, no, don't give me any credit, which, you know, to me is kind of jarring. Like give credit where credit is due is something that I live by. Um, So that was just interesting. But when Rand's not canoodling magic princesses, he's meeting with um, the high Lords, and he starts, <laughs> he starts showing up at their secret meetings that Tom was sort of tipping him, tipping oh, off yeah. about. So Tom's ferreting out secret meetings and then Rand just shows up nonchalantly just to come see that everything's still okay. And like the High Lords are thinking, fuck, how much does this guy know that like he's <laughs> showing up at our secret gatherings? This is where we're supposed to be plotting against him. But after all of that, Rand is just dead set against starting a war. He's not into this plan of, uh, of Moran's at all. And uh, he resolves to spend those days planning what he's going to do before Elaine leaves with Egwene and Nynaeve and resolves to making a move after that, which we learn here comes back to bite him, right? Like he really regrets sticking around for a couple stolen kisses while, um, you know, the, the Forsaken prepare to move against him. So anyway, on the evening of the third day, the night before the Dark Friends are supposed to be shipped off and the girls will also head off, Rand reprimands Lord's Sunamon and Malin those are the two. Ah, that are not looking at each other. Those guys. Yeah. All right. Just because of this farcical treaty that um, I actually mentioned in a previous episode about Lord Torian, High Lord Torian. You asked him, did you even talk to Berelan? You know, like who came up with this total bullshit in it? It says that two thousand Terran soldiers under High Lord Torian would be stationed in Maine to sort of quote unquote, protect Tyr's interests. And he throws the treaty into, I think it's Malin's arms or something, and he sort of catches it instinctively. And as they're sort of talking about it and Rand gets more enraged, he sets the thing on fire in Malin's arms. Like he's holding <laughs> yeah. it he goes, ah! he throws it away <laughs> into the into the fireplace. Um, and that's when he says to them, you come back to me tomorrow with the treaty by midday, um, that is fair, or I will hang both of you at sunset and I will hang two high lords every day until either all of them are dead or I get the treaty that I want. (laughs) And they are shit scared, right? So as they leave, Rand is kind of a bit freaked out by the fact that he thinks he actually meant it. You know, Mm. like he's that angry, he's going to start hanging people. This is our little shepherd boy from Eamon's Field talking about hanging high lords in tier. So yeah, he's certainly gotten a lot harder. He's sort of sitting there looking at his hair and brands, um, recalling the prophecy and musing over, you know, like, why would I need more branding? Like, what are these dragons? What even is a dragon? No one seems to be able to tell me what a dragon is. And he's busy looking at these brands when in walks Celine. Hello. Easy as you like. Remember me? (laughs) Yeah. Um, He's obviously shocked. And um, he notes that Egwene and Elaine were only pretty beside her. Yeah. Like he's just spent all this time. Like, I mean, he clearly has feelings for Elaine and stuff, but he, he cannot deny the fact that, you know, the most beautiful woman that he knows didn't mention men, uh, no. <laughs> are are only pretty beside
3: beside Celine. Now I want to see if you picked up something there at that point. Again, they're making a very pointed reference to a silver belt. Mm. Yeah. No, I yes. can't not notice
2: it now. Every time, yeah,
0: mm. yeah. He also says in that moment that she doesn't have the same effect on him that she's had before, mm. which could just be the sort of love-struck feelings that he had when he was around Celine. But she also comments here that Ah, you've you've been marked. No matter, you will be mine. Remember, mm. she marked him at the mm. end yeah of the great hunt she did something that she drew the Mm. symbol on his head people think that she healed you know the wound in his side with the true power or something along those lines but here she's he's mentioning that she doesn't have the same effect on him and i think she notices that as well Mm. so maybe her silver belt is a tarang real that's sort of you know melts people in her presence to sort of be more pliable it's not straight up compulsion but you know we spoke about Egwene having a similar sort of reaction to her when she runs into her in the tower and as soon as she's disappeared she turns around she goes wait a minute no that was the wrong way to act Mm. so yeah i mean the silver belts could also just straight up be a way to identify her as lanfear you know it happens with Cad Swain and like her little things in her hair, and like a, a couple of different people in the story, I think. You yeah, know. but those those little things in her hair
2: are are taranguil. Taranguil. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. <laughs>
3: I'm still saying that silver belt is the belts. It's a belt of
0: evil. It's a snake. <laughs> it's a snake. Yeah. So, anyway, Celine says that um, he has changed and that he seems harder, like we just discussed as well. And after some pleasantries, um she straight up just tells him that she is Lanfear. Yeah. Um
1: uh, and by the immediately way.
0: like launches into a sales pitch for the shadow. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he reaches for Sidin and he finds himself shielded. Uh-oh. Can't channel. Whoopsie. And he sort of starts backing up towards Kalandor, uh, but he hits a barrier of air. Mm. And Lanfear says She can't fully trust him yet, not with Kalandor. Uh, And here she says, there are only two more powerful than that a man can use. So the Cole and Mm. the Mm. Sakanan. She then asks him, do you want to see my true form? And she goes ahead and dispels her her mask of mirrors or whatever that weave is called. Mm. And she still looks basically the same, but older. And Rand mentions that somehow even more beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Celine, who already makes everyone the loves of his life pale by comparison, now looks even more beautiful. Um, so Rand asks her, okay, he's sort of starting to come around to the fact like, shit. okay, this is Lanfear, uh, And he asks her if she's going to kill him. But she says she means to have him and she's going to have him forever. That he loved her long before that pale-haired milksop stole him. Obviously, talking about Elena, mm. but Rand is thinking uh, Elaine mm. uh, because they've sort of been canoodling now for a little while, and this is going to be a record for using the word canoodling in a in a podcast. But that's exactly what they were doing. Yes. And when she says that, Rand snaps back and goes, "And you love power, yeah, you know." straight up loose there in here. That is undeniable, right? And it actually takes her by surprise as well. Yeah, She's taken a back fight by both the comment and the fact that he is speaking as if he knows her.
1: Yeah.
0: But she composes herself and she tells him um, that he's done pretty well unaided considering he's got no help, but he needs someone to train him um, or otherwise the other forsaken are going to kill him. And she explains something that hadn't really like hit home for me, that they're not going to kill him because they're scared of him. They want to kill him because they're jealous of him. They think that the Dark Lord is going to put him above all the Forsaken, that the, Lord of the, the Dark One is going to put Rand mm. as his neighborless and all the other Forsaken are going to have to answer to him. And she says that the Dark One told her as much. And that's when she starts explaining that you can go to Shail Ghul Mm. and you can hear him and sense him and bathe in his presence. And she gets this sort of like euphoric, ecstatic look on her face, which, you know, freaks Rand the hell out. I mean, this is a pretty strong uh, start for a sales pitch, right? Like this is not how you convince Rand to turn to the shadow. (laughs) After she's told him about sort of, you know, going to Shail Ghul and being able to hear the Dark One, she then straight up offers for Asmodian to train him. Yeah which I thought was interesting. I'd I'd always thought that Rand had had to force Asmodian to do it, but it seems like Lanfear was sort of putting the wheels in motion for that specific relationship between the two of them to exist already, uh, which is probably necessary to get one of the Forsaken to agree to training oh, the Dragon Reborn.
2: He doesn't agree. He's under some sort of, uh, I mean, she captures Asmodian. Yeah, she weaves something on him. I don't know what. But he has no I mean she, she puts a limit on the amount of power he can he can use, he can touch.
0: That's right. She caps him. Mm. I wonder if she uses the true power.
2: Oh, maybe.
0: We'll have to win. So the Grand Kant effect. I mean
2: moment. that happens in this book, right?
0: when um, I mean, he meets Asmode in this book.
2: Is it on their journey to I don't the know. waste? I don't oh, know. I think it's this book or the next.
0: It <laughs> 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 it down to the next <laughs> <laughs> one and a half thousand pages. Yeah, um, but she says with Asmodin's help, she, he he can learn to to use Sidin properly, and they can they can kill all the other Forsaken. They can even destroy the Dark One. Like she to- starts talking in a whisper and like alluding to them using the Cuden Call, even the Creator. Mm. You know, like she has some pretty ambitious plans. Old mm-hmm. man, Fear. not not shy plan fear. But good old stuff. <laughs> yeah. Good old Stubborn Rand refuses and promises to kill her and them all and the Dark One. And um, you know, which is a pretty bold claim considering he's here yeah, shielded and blocked. <laughs> you know, you can't do shit yeah. And you thought Egwene was arrogant. Yeah. And self-important So um Lanfear changes tactics and she says she could just take him with her, which she very easily could. I mean, she can just wrap him up in air, open a gateway, step through it and, you know, turn him with the 13 fates. Yeah. But Rand sort of just tries to buy some time. Like he realizes, okay, he is in trouble here. She could just take him. He has to buy some time. So he pretends to uh, consider what she's saying and sort of looks around a little bit and he's taking note of the things in the room. And in the things that he sort of sees, there's a nondescript man slipping in the door. And he just continues describing other stuff. So that typical explanation of a gray man, like someone seeing them, but not registering what is actually happening. And he takes a moment to click, but he does actually come to. And what he does is he pushes Lanfear out of the way Mm. and reaches for Saiden. And as he reaches for Saiden, the shield that, that was around him disappears and he can embrace the source. He conjures the the flaming sword. This gray man is coming in with a dagger. He cuts off the hand with the dagger and plunges the sword through the gray man's heart, effectively neutralizing said
1: gray
3: man. (laughs) That was just a little soft for me. How the shield got broken. Like I'll just push you over. Or did she let it go?
0: She let it go. She says as much. Yeah. She says that she let him defend himself to see what he would do. But she sneers at his flame sword saying he does a tenth of what he could do with the power because he is still so untrained and he's still like conjuring a sword to Mm. stab people with, you know, like it's, this is a fraction of what you could do with the power. But she, she chose not to abduct him because she wants him to fall in love with
3: her, she wants. Yeah, him she loves to, She loves Lewis. To opt, she wants yeah. a a partnership, not a forced partnership, not a exactly, a, not a not a company takeover. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, a hostile takeover. Yeah, that that word. She's standing there, looking at him, looking like she's expecting an attack. But now that Rand has embraced the source, she can't shield him anymore. So. Rand is looking at her, observing that she's expecting an attack, but stubborn, old-timey, two-rivers man, all he sees is a woman, mm-hmm. not one of the original Forsaken uh, who is just you know, threatened with turning him to the shadow forcibly. All he sees is a woman, um, and he can't bring himself to do anything. At least he's holding Sajidin, so she can't do anything about shielding me anymore. But as he's standing there talking to her, he suddenly realizes, hang on, that gray man would have gotten past the Aiel, mm. And he asks her, what did you do to the Aiel?" And she says, nothing, but don't go out there. You know, it could, be, it could be a trap for you, considering there's a gray man here that is obviously not hers. And he opens the door, and what he sees outside is just scenes of madness. And that's how the chapter ends. Indeed it does. Phew. Lanfear, pretty bold. A lot, of, a lot of girls throwing themselves at Rand, but one of them happens to be Lanfear, <laughs> this incredibly powerful, ancient, evil person. There was a couple of things about that chapter. The previous chapter, uh,
2: well, in, in in this one, there was um, that you you crave power. And in the previous mm-hmm. one, where he's talking about how he just does stuff by channeling and stuff. So Luz is becoming more and more and more prominent in his life. And actually mm-hmm. now in my chapter, there's a very definitive moment where we, oh, where yes. we chat about Luz. Um, so yeah, just that he is coming. Um, and that's, because there's a moment, I know there's is, is like a, a series, like a, a whole part of this of these books where he talks to him all the time, like he has another human mm-hmm. living in his head. I don't remember the exact words or anything like that, but yeah, we, we're getting into the beginning of that
3: right now.
0: Later in the books, Luce Theron takes over.
3: Yeah. Mm. shit. So, and Rand can't stop him. Hold my beer, Rand. I'll do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Let me show you these death gates. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: well, no, I've really forgotten the second thing I was going to talk about. Never mind. Carry on.
0: He does also say in this chapter, like, and you love power, you know, like mm. straight mm. up Luce Theron. Yeah, yeah. Very much becoming prominent.
2: Oh, and the fact that he, you know, like, again, that trope, like, he doesn't kill her because she's a woman and he's all old school, but mm. it's good. It comes back later to help him, like, many times. The fact that he doesn't kill Lanfear saves his ass so many times. I, d- I don't think he's capable
3: of killing Lanfear at this this stage. Look, even if he tried? Not at all. He could Even if he tried to to stick her with a pointy end of that sword, um, it just wouldn't have done a thing. I think she would have then... Just got him away and say so, okay, cool. just dismissed
0: well. his sword from mm. his hands
1: mm.
3: and <laughs> untied the,
0: those weaves. There you go. I don't think she can untie Sidin, but she can channel the, the true power. Oh, she does, mm. and she does it in my chapter. Does she? Yep. In the next chapter?
3: Yep. Okay, well, let's go there. Villy, <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else you wanted to add? Oh, no, I'm uh, all ready for the next chapter. I'm all right, I'm throtting.
0: I'm champing at the bit for the next chapter. I only have. Two notes for the entire chapter because right. it is all just straight up <laughs> badassery. <laughs> so chapter 10 is called The Stone Stands. Take it away, Joe. I put an
2: exclamation mark. The Stone Stands! You have to say it like that. <laughs> so he's opened the door to that scene of madness. And on the floor just outside his door lie the bodies of the six stone dogs that were there. No! You know, it's like when you kill an Aiel, it's like watching an elf from the Lord of the Rings die, you know. <laughs> but he was immortal. Anyway. so but not Gaul. <laughs> none, But not Gaul. He was not there, no. Luckily. And among their bodies are the bodies of three grey men with at least two Aiel spears in each. Now, he does make mention, looks like some of those stone dogs died without, you know, doing anything but I think maybe the only one of them because then the rest of them took charge. But anyway, Mm. six Sa'iel versus three gray men. That's insane. Like Those are still very good odds, even though they're all dead. That's amazing. One of them got through the door and it's okay. Rand took care of him. So no harm, no foul. Uh, The roar of battle. (laughs) Some harm. (laughs) There's there's significant harm. (laughs) There's a death harm. harm. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. So the roar of battle washes over Rand, and he sees the defenders fighting Trollocs and Fades everywhere. Uh, The defenders outnumber the Shadow Spawn, but they do not appear to be winning. He doesn't get that <laughs> from looking at the battle. There's lots of you, no. but you're dropping like flies. And the alarm bells are blaring, d- being taken up. Because like someone's ringing the alarm bells, and then it suddenly goes quiet. So you assume that person got killed. But then another person <laughs> takes up the bells <laughs> again. <laughs> this is like bell ringers are dying. Um, and Rand sees a Madrol moving to intercept a man who is fleeing and in fear. And Rand shouts, fade! Try me, Fade. And I was just like, oh, man. Tears in my eyes. Goosebumps. Love it. How far he's come. And he's like, hey, there's a Fade. Fuck you, Fade. Come here. Let's uh, take pick on someone your own size, you know. It looks at him, and the fear flows over the bubble in the void. And that's another great thing. Like, he feels the fear hit him from that eyeless stare, but it's just, like, flows around him when he's in this bubble mm-hmm. of the void, which I thought was fucking rad as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so... And then, of course, we know the Aiel are. I wonder how they deal with it, uh, the fear. Do they not feel it or they just deal with the fear that comes from the eyeless?
0: I think they embrace it. Their whole thing is like they embrace mm. pain and yeah. fear and all that stuff. Like, they're like, okay. They say dance with there's the, the thing shadow man.
2: I, yeah. Mm. Yes. <laughs> so they feel it as well, but they, they just overcome it, you know? Mm hmm um so the eyeless flows towards him we get that whole serpentine thing again about how much they move and how well they move move like snakes um and rand it just runs at him jumps over the dead bodies hurling himself at a at a fade uh, I, it doesn't i looked red several times it doesn't mention the moment the sword is he summons the sword or is he still got it from the room hey he hasn't he dismissed might still have it. but she cut him off oh no fuck i'm getting confused <laughs> yeah okay so he still got the flaming sword from the room where he killed off. yeah okay that's where he had it from anyway he kind of slips in the blood as he lands because as we mentioned earlier there's a lot of blood a lot of dark pools mm-hmm. of blood on these dark uh, marble floors and uh that kind of saves him as well because he's managed to deflect um a uh a sword intercepting for his mm-hmm. brain and he starts while he's fa- while he's fighting this fade now he starts screaming rally to the stone and the stone stands because those are the things that he heard the night he attacked the stone, <laughs> which is just a few <laughs> weeks ago now when he tried to take over everything.
0: When it did not stand.
2: Yeah, it did not. But that's what he heard the people screaming. So he figures, you know, mm. this, is what, this is what will happen. You know, this will it'll help, you know, galvanize these defenders. Boose and it morale. does. It yes. does indeed. And it works. And he hears other people taking up these cries as well. And his battle with the fate is, is, is not going... Uh, very well he's just managing to deflect the blows because he even mentions like this this thing knows how to use a sword he knows the use of the sword so and every time their blades clash as well you get these white flashes of light which i think very cinema cinematographic well cinema what's the word i'm looking for
3: Cinematographically. cinema <laughs> cinema 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 <laughs> Graphically. M- graphically, cinnamon bun. <laughs> no. What? You've tongue twisted all of me. Cinematic.
2: Really? Cinematic. Yes. Okay. Now that is a word I know, but I, I, for some reason it doesn't feel. Morris, just edit this all out. Make us look very clever. Can do. <laughs> Cinematic. The, the, the fade threatens Rand. Uh, he's, you know, in his in that crackling voice of his. Uh, he's going to kill him and feed his flesh to the trollocs and take your women, blah blah blah, for our own. All kinds of crap. So Rand chops uh, the fade sword in half uh, because that's annoying.
1: <laughs> Shut up now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> My sword can cut your sword in half, and then uh, immediately beheads him. I've got him slash it. I don't know what to call a fade. Is it an it? Is it a him? It's I a him. It's a it's a hit. We'll call it that. So the remaining Trollocs in that area also just fall down because they were linked to this shitty little fade. Um, and the defendant, the defenders, to their credit, don't even hesitate before they all run up and just start stabbing the Trollocs that are like thrashing on the ground. Uh, and just like th- two or three of them at- against one trollock and just start stabbing the shit out of them to make sure that they uh, to- that they're out of the picture. Uh, stay only- down, stay down, motherfucker. And there's only two dozen of them remaining. To be precise, later on, Rand says there's 23 exactly defenders left in this area. And I think there were 50 at the beginning, because I think there was mm-hmm. 50 stationed out his room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rand orders them to to leave the Fade because they were like, okay, we've done, you know, killing these Trollocs. We're going to go get the Fade. And he remembers that thing like, no, Fades just don't want to believe that they're dead. He is dead. Just leave him thrashing around there. He'll be fine. All right? Yeah, um, Fades do that. Yeah, they, they do that. Don't worry about it. So um, wipe off your spears because their blood is going to etch into your steel. Uh, regroup and then land... Rand, I see, I'm really calling him Land. Rand uh, <laughs> leads the, the charge with his 23 defenders back down into the stone because there are sounds of battles coming from all over the place and screaming and whatnot. And he just runs and you know, says, follow me, and just kind of hopes that they are following him. But eventually he hears footfalls behind him and uh, he hears people screaming for the stone and for the stone and the Lord Dragon and blah, blah, blah. So he's like, all right, phew, they followed me. That worked. All right, so they're running through the halls. They're passing bodies of men, women, defenders, Aiel servants, like just indiscriminate killing. There's just bodies everywhere, which is to be expected with uh, Trollocs and Fades. And they find more battles along the way, and Rand focuses on the Fades, which I think is very cool as well. He runs past mm. Trollocs, just ignoring them so he could take care of the Fades. Because there's very it's few. Yeah, and there's very, like, who else is going to do it? I mean, he knows Lan is somewhere, but that's about it all else that the only other people, and maybe the Aiel. Of course, uh, and then uh, leaving the Trollocs to the defenders and whatnot, and then the Aiel join him as well, bringing his ranks back up to around 50. I think he said they kind of doubled his ranks, so he's got this little army with him, and he's running through the stone, just having all these little battles, and everybody just knows what they're doing. Lord Dragon's going for the fades; the rest of us will take care of the Trollocs, and um, and also men, because there are dark friends amongst the Trollocs as well who look just mm. as terrified of the Trollocs as everyone else is, but they're killing Defenders of the Stone. So we've got Fates, Trollocs, and Dark Friends. Just dark Friends are just the scum of the, the earth. Worst. Like, I can't... I yeah. can,
3: they make me sick, anyway. I'm um, saying that because you're a Dark Friend and you're trying to hide your... You know, build up your cover. My true colors. Yeah.
0: Methinks the lady doth protest too much.
2: <laughs> <laughs> mm. Called you a lady, really uh aiel join them and others break off others die some run off and have their own little secret little battles and then join them later on and you know he's just people are joining his group and leaving his group and there's just utter chaos going on uh at some points he even finds himself fighting alone he turns around and <laughs> there's no one is just by himself just killing some trollocs mm-hmm. you know uh at one point as well he comes out of the top of some sort of like uh, staircase bar- balustrade area and he sees moraine and lan uh down in the courtyard below fighting being surrounded and Moraine is standing, like to her, you know, shoulders back, back straight, just looking regal, like a queen, just fireballing the shit out of trollocs all around her. You he can smell the flesh burning before he even gets there, and the ones that she misses, Lan takes care of. Uh, and and with the the description as well, like even with all of that, Lan has got blood all over his face, and he is take his he's going through the forms as if he were practicing them in front of a mirror. What Uh
3: you say? Uh, they smelt a burnt fade. <laughs> no, it's burnt flesh of the trollocs. <laughs> Not that very distinctive fade I'm burning still smell. Still the distinctive fade burning smell there. You yes. know they
0: never burnt that fade in Whitebridge and that he got away, right? Tom didn't I know, kill I know.
3: it. Okay, <laughs> I just like to poke holes at it.
2: <laughs> I do I do not know what a burnt fade smells like, but I can promise you it smells different to anything else that's been burnt, I'm sure. It smells different to burnt feathers. Probably.
1: Hmm.
2: All right. I've just got awesomely. That's how Lan is fighting. Awesomely. That's hmm. all I've written. Um, he sees at one point that uh, Lan is actually brought to his knees. His knees buckle as a trolloch hits him on the back of the head with an axe. With the flat of the axe. Not with a blade. Easy now. And he wants to help, but he can't because just at that moment, he gets attacked by about five Trollocs. And he's got two guys with him as well, two defenders still. And they have to fight with that. So after dealing with him, he turns around again and Matt and Lan, I mean Matt, Moraine and Lan are gone. And there's just burnt bodies and char marks all over the area that they were. But no, no Moraine or Lan. They, no bodies and they are not to be seen. So they've done their part and off they go to the next battle. So he carries on fighting through the stone, and he sees men fighting Trollocs, men fighting men, the dark friends, and then the Trollocs fighting the Trollocs, and he stops and he, what? Now, the men fighting the men, I understand, but the Trollocs fighting the Trollocs? That kind of kind of muddles his brain a bit. He thinks maybe just one of the Fades got killed, and the others that were linked to him went crazy and just attacked whoever they fought. I but think we know it was two,
3: two attacks by two factions. Like oh, it One totally set was. of Trollocs and rolled well to someone else that came. And then they just like, hey. I suppose ale. I didn't see you at the landfill. <laughs> no, I didn't see you. Fuck <laughs> <But> you. Dead. <then. laughs>
1: anyway. They also
0: say that um, if Trollocs aren't linked to a Fade, they are prone to just attacking each other. They get a bloodlust and they just attack everyone. Yeah. So that's why yeah. the Fades do link to the Trollocs.
2: Yes, because you need to control these crazy people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Vili, we will talk about that in more in, in more depth later on. So, uh, yeah, just as that he after he sees that he comes running around the corner and he bumps into three trollocs who are there preparing their midday meal uh, while they are butchering some <laughs> poor woman who's just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, Rand attacks, like they're both shocked to see each other, but Rand recovers first. Now, when it, when that was written, I saw that line and thought, "Yeah, Rand." But he kind of fucks it up and he gets trapped underneath a trollic. his sword arm specifically. And a trollic is about to sm- to split his head open with an axe when another trollic kills that Trolloc from behind by mm-hmm. chopping his head off. And then gives Rand, uh, Rand some sort of glare and growl and runs away. And then Rand's just like, what the fuck is going on here? This is getting weirder and weirder. Did a Trolloc literally just save my life? And yes, it did, Rand. It did. Indeed it is. So Rand gets up, shocked that a Trolloc had saved him. Uh, and he sees two Madral fighting each other. Now he's really like, whoa, man, things are, things are getting weird. So Trolloc's fighting Trollocs, but Madral, that's weird. Suddenly, Lanfear is there. The reason for all of this nonsense happening. <laughs> so she appears there behind him. I imagine she popped out of a gateway. Or did she just mm-hmm. walk calmly through all the blood <laughs> until she met him there? Um, but her suddenness kind of gives the, gives the impression that she just traveled to get there. And she's giving him shit again about not living up to his potential, you know, using the one-tenth. Like, you could kill everybody here right now, but you're running around with a fucking sword, and you almost died right now, like five seconds ago. Again, she asks him to join her, the old uh, join the dark side and, you know, rule with me. Uh, That's actually the exact same plot that uh, Darth Vader has. Join me, Mm -hmm. overthrow, overthrow the Empire and the Emperor. And rule the world the at world my side. Together. <laughs> it's mm. the exact same thing. Yeah. So anyway, he asks her if it was her that sent the Trolloc to save him. And she's obtuse. But she doesn't want to because she says, look, if I tell you it was me, then you're going to start relying on my help. And that's going to be a bad thing. Um, I doubt that he would rely on her help. But yes. Mm. So it's basically confirmed, yeah, that yes, she is in the in the stone with her Trollocs and her fades, protecting Rand. From what I assume at this point of reading the book is Samael's Trollocs and Fades. hmm Perhaps. Yeah.
0: Look, Lanfear is a is a devious one. Yeah. They
2: could all be her Trollocs and Fades. I don't I don't think so, and I'll explain it to you later. <laughs> okay. When we find out where they all came from. So okay. yeah. Um basically, but she says as well, she also mentions that the other Forsaken don't know where she stands exactly, and she likes it that way. So, I'm pretty convinced mm. that the one faction was Samael sending mm. Trollocs to kill him. And then she brought her own to kind of defend him because he is not yeah. ready. But Rand's not buying into her sweet words and promises of power and whatnot and whatnot. So he channels and just pins her to the wall with air. I just thought, this is the- I've got it underlined. That's a ballsy move, like all of a sudden. But now he is attacking her with one power. And he wants to shield her. Yeah, Villy, really, at this point, he wants to shield her, but he can't remember how. He, he, mm. he remembers how he got her up on of the wall with a shield, like how he held the. Egwene and Elaine but he can't remember what he did to shield them so he can't shield her mm. but she seems like to, like Lanfear totally untroubled she's unflustered whatsoever she's just calmly hanging on the wall in, in midair. Uh, and that moment as well Rand suddenly flies back pinned against the wall just like her so she's channeled back to him and, and retaliated and basically in, in other words says anything you can do I can do better so don't even try your crap with me um and also, where's Kalando, dumbass? <laughs> and Rant's like, oh, shit, I left it in the room during this attack. And as well as a reader, when I was reading this the first time, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she said, Kalando, was like, oh, shit, as well. Like, he just left Calando, Unguarded. Unguarded
3: in your bedroom, just standing there on that gaudy stand. For the forsaken to walk in and just somehow picking it up and claiming it. There we exactly. go. Exactly. It
2: really is there. Ridiculous, Rand. Ridiculous. So Rand's like, oh shit, I gotta go. And he's trying to struggle. Eventually, Lanfear releases him. And he's on the ground and he looks up at her and he's thinking, I'm just going to leave her there. But if I leave her, maybe a trolley will kill her or something will happen to her. The same crap again. But before he can realize, big softy, before he can even get any further, uh, Lanfear severs his flows and floats down gently to the ground. And she mentions as well, like, I don't have to see what you have done. I just need to know what you've done. And I can sever them. So she cuts his flows. She didn't. She couldn't mm-hmm. see them, but she did manage to cut the flows because he even feels them shooting back at him after she's cut them. Mm-hmm. He has that impression that we 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 hear a lot about later on. So uh, she floats to the ground, cools a cucumber, and Rand makes a beeline for Kalando, um, regretfully leaving Glanfear behind. but There's nothing you can do about that now. You've got to choose your your battles and priorities. There's no, t- no time to stop and fight Trollocs this time <laughs> as uh, as he's running back. He doesn't make any pit stops, but he does pass Perrin and Fael back to back taking names. And I thought this is just, this is a great little heat. They don't, you, we don't hear them. We don't see, uh, hear, any, hear them say anything. We don't get their point of views, but they're just back to back. Like they've got each other's backs. She's got her knives. He's got his axe and they're just laying about, just killing fucking Trollocs. I love it. Um, hmm. bursting into his chambers he finds kalandor still there phew close one hmm. um and just as he grabs it well he he gently grabs it uh, a hmm. fade appears in the doorway behind him and looks at rand looks at kalandor and then bolts the other way <laughs> which i thought as <laughs> well like, the first time a fade must be feeling fear from just a you know mm-hmm. not the dark one himself i imagine but um like rand as rand turns around he's got galando that's this whole scene of this this uh, little glance you could see his eyes well his eyeless eyes looking at rand looking at the sword and then just bolting i love it there's lots of good points in this chapter so too late anyway anyway this this fade is running away uh, rand kind of undoes him i don't know what he does to this uh fade but he just like makes him turn into greasy little bubbles apparently oily moats is all that's left of him is what i get so as he leaves his rooms he sees another fade with its trollocs uh they scream and die in flames he just channels now because now he's pissed and powerful or even more powerful so he's just Mm. burning and he the flames that just burst up from on the from the ground underneath him and as he walks past them they the flames are already gone and all there's just a black charred areas not even ashes or bones Nothing. So back through the stone he goes, uh, burning trollocs and fades as you do. He realizes this one by one bullshit is not going to cut the Dijon in the immortal modes mm-hmm. of Moritz. Uh, he needs to <laughs> kill them at all and all at once. So I thought like, yeah, that's that's a pretty good idea, Rand. Uh, tried killing them all at once. You should have tried that from the beginning. So he stops in the middle and he raises Kalando above his head. And he shouts, by the power of Gull, And a oh, giant storm <laughs> forms. And I thought, run, Rand, before Kevin Smith ruins you two. And there's a giant mm-hmm. storm <laughs> billowing in the sky. It's like, it's described as all the thunderstorms in the world put together. So there's got this massive cloud building and building and building above his head, swirling and swirling, sucking in air. And you, you can imagine the power. Everybody who's read this part mm-hmm. imagines it. So He's letting it grow and grow in intensity, um, and he hears in his mind. This is the the quotes I was talking about. Something to kill them all, and then he keeps pumping power into it and pumping more and more and more until he can't hold it anymore. And he hears, and this is in, you know, a quote from the book. Now, and the 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 line in the book is the thought floated like crack cackling laughter on the rim of his awareness, and that is Luz, literally speaking to him because previously now. It's been Luz influencing him, but not actually using Mm. words in his head. And I think addressing him, yeah. Addressing Mm. him, telling him, now let go of it. And the lightnings come, streaking in every direction, and he can feel the Trollocs and the Fades and the Shadow Spawn dying. So he's connected to this thing he's created and he can feel when it works as well. And he says to himself, he thinks he could kill them everywhere, everywhere in the world with landor in his hand, if he did this storm mm. thing, he could kill all the Trollocs on planet Earth at the same time, but surely die himself from using so much of the power. Mm. I was thinking, whoa, man. That's, that's a lot of power. And a handy trick that he never uses again, I don't think. That would mm. have been quite, yeah. quite useful in, in like the last battle. <laughs> Yakum yeah. uh, all the Trollocs. Kill them all. There you go. Okay. Let me go deal with the Dark One. But anyway, <laughs> there's things that, uh, that happen and other things that don't. So once all the Shadowspawn are dead, the storm collapses in on itself. Uh, Rand is still holding on to the power, Calandol shining in his hand. Moraine is there, and she's just like, what the, Did you? how did you, like, this is, she's absolutely, her mind is fucking blown. Um, and they are terrified of him. Uh, Lan tries to take some steps forward, and she actually stops him, like, don't go anywhere near this man. Because he is, mm-hmm. you, she can see his eyes, she can see Kalando, like, and what he's just done, obviously, like, just give him some space, Lan. And she's asking him, Are you well, Rand? Like, is this everything <laughs> okay? <laughs> Are you yeah. Are you well? Kill us too. This is me, Moraine, remember? You know? And at that point, Rand takes her eyes, his eyes off her and he sees the body of a little girl. And this is a scene I remember from my first reading. Um, yeah moraine warns him like there's nothing you can do for her you know like death is incurable and he's like no fuck it with this sword in my hand with kalando in my hand i can do anything and he throws the flows into this the body of this little girl such a hectic scene this child's body like kind of flopping around in the air floating and he tries to pump her chest to get air into it and the blood starts gushing out of her wound in her chest just fucking hectic this is going to stay with him <laughs> as it stayed mm. with me, like for the last 20 odd years. Um, yeah. Just, and, he, and Moraine has to tell him like, look, your death cannot be healed. And Rand is crying at this point, there's tears running down his eyes, uh, down his cheeks. And he, he lets the girl's body fall to the ground as he, he like stops channeling. And then of course, with the obligatory scream at the sky and fire sizzling into the walls, as when he releases Sidon. So he collapses and he's resting on Kalandor, on which has got the point stuck. On. It's not. I thought at first like he's driven it into the stone, but it's just resting on the stone. But he's, mm. he's, he's putting his weight onto it now because he's just exhausted. And the first thing he asks about is his friends, which I thought, oh, that's touching. Like, what about mm. my friends? You know, where's Matt? Where's Perrin? Like, is everyone okay? Was he too late? And this is what you talked about earlier as well, Moritz, like regrets these days now. Immediately, this is where he starts regretting mm. it. Stealing little kisses. Because he could have been gone already and everybody and that little girl that he tried to, to revive would have been alive and everything would have been different. But Ma- yeah. Moraine confirms to him, like, listen, they live. You were not too late. Your friends are alive. Um, at that point, he wants to know, like, where the fuck did these Trollocs come from, man? So Lan already knows. I don't know how he knew, but this is Lan. He's <laughs> special. He's turns out the Trollocs got into the stone by taking a river cruise. How lovely. They came down the river. <laughs> By, by barges. I think it was like eight barges or something, but yeah. grain barges, but going the opposite direction, coming into Tia uh, instead of leaving, which nobody thought to question. But when they got yeah. to the docks, they all just jumped out, killed everybody, so they secured the docks. But there was a second group that arrived by coach over land from the estates of one of the Tarian laws. So I'm thinking that those ones that arrived by coach were Lanfear's troops that she brought in for uh, defense because it was closer. And the ones that arrived by barge were Samael's troops. Mm-hmm. Possibly. All right? Because Maybe. that would that would have required more planning um, and more, you know, you can't just pack eight barges full of Trollocs and no one's going to notice. So you're going to have to do it with a lot of planning and foresight and then have to travel down the river, which will take more time than coming from an estate in some carriages. So I think that the, the estate ones Were a reactionary force from Lanfear when she realized, "Oh shit, there's an attack coming. Let me
3: bring my own guys in."
0: I just assumed they Um, all came from the same person.
3: Yeah, I I just don't think different modes of transport. Lanfear needed her own trollocs there for her to be able to get a trolloc to do her bidding. She's so adept in compulsion and channeling this type of behavior. That she could have easily just said, okay, cool, you just kill that one there. Do it now. Yeah. That
0: was my second note Mm. of the two notes I have for the chapter is did Lanfear use compulsion on a trollic that was already there?
2: Mm. Um, This is, look, everything you say, both of you, makes sense. But I think it's pretty common knowledge, as far as I'm concerned, of talking to people online and whatnot and and reading things, that this was, there were two different forces. In the stone. Yeah, I
3: I don't disagree that there were two. Lanfears and the stone. I just think Lanfear was the third force that knew about these other two. Um because Ooh. it's Samael and um uh Ravin, who's the other one that's now stationed somewhere. Yes, in Camelin. I Rabin. think it's a it's a deal move from them to try and take Rand out now. They've gotten their little spies telling them that he's 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 chilling out he's living the king life in could be stone. and lanthia as being lanthia she's a complete rogue operator i don't think she's got the blessing mm. of getting madral and getting all of that because the minute she says okay cool i need a, a set of madral and give me 10 sets of trollocs then was gonna go like hmm this is a weird requisition what's your plan I'm going to pass this past <laughs> the high lord right now because it seems a little bit inconsistent with our policies and procedures of this dark empire. <laughs> uh, so she just uses her power, and her her goal is completely different. Now we've established that, but yeah, I don't I mean, she think she had sent anything in there that's not her motive. She helped. She wants Rand to become what he becomes, so that he becomes Lewis, and then she wants to. Be Lewis's girlfriend, <laughs> <laughs> old Lewis. <laughs> we've, we've
0: we've never we've never corrected you, but I grin every time you call Lewis there and Lewis.
3: Yeah, no, Lewis, Lewis, Lewis. Tomato, tomato. Same thing, man. Louis, Louise. Listen, for someone that believed foam was flame for about fifteen <laughs> years, just <laughs> I'm going with it. Grin Lewis. and bear with it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> alright, I like your other plan though because the one thing that did bother me I thought that the, the, one, the one group of Trollocs was was Landfears and the other one was another Forsaken which I assumed was Samael, but looking at a map if it's coming on the river the next city up there is Arringil, which is there by Camelon on the river mm. so it, it could have been what's his name?
3: is it Ravine there?
2: Ravine, yeah, could have been him I'm sure that this has already been established and is canon and written down somewhere on the interwebs. Don't just, have, just have to go find it. Because this is what I, the, I had a conversation with some guy on Twitter about this as well. Like, yeah, it's already established that this other group in the tier, in the stone of tier was, um, was Lanfears. Right. Like she had her own force there. But anyway, some, uh, <laughs> Googling will need to be done <laughs> between this episode and the next one. Go for it, Joe. That's your callback. I will have a look at it. All right. (laughs) Uh, I won't do it unless my life depends on it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Matt. (laughs) All right. So anyway, back to the story. Moraine heals Rand to 90%. Not fully. Because she tells him, (laughs) you need to sleep. He's like, sleep? What are you talking about? Can you not see what's just happened? She
0: leaves the weariness.
2: Yes. Like, no, you need to be wary. It's like, I'm not going to sleep. What the fuck are you, crazy? Anyway, so he tells her that uh, tomorrow he will let everybody know what he's going to do. He's stayed too long. It's time to move. I could have told you this four days ago. And Moraine's been telling (laughs) you for two weeks, it's time to move, buddy. But that's how that chapter ends. Like, I have a plan. And tomorrow, I will tell everyone what that plan is.
1: Yeah.
0: Like I said, I only got two notes for it. We've already discussed <laughs> one of them.
3: Yeah, my big thing was just where did the trollocs come from and why they're eating each other. <clears throat> and it's because they are dogs from a different fight. Mm. I yeah. mean,
0: trollocs from the same fist will fight each other. You know, like they don't even have to be from opposing forsaken's forces for them to fight amongst themselves. They get a blood list and they just kill everything around them. But that's madral. why the Fades have to link
3: with them. There's a madral we're fighting as well.
2: Oh, there were two Madral yeah, fighting, each- fighting each other, yeah. That we saw. So mm.
3: That there is uh, a telltale sign of opposing forces using mm. the same evil mechanism. It's like, hey, didn't see you at the deep of the brief.
0: I wonder how Madral recognize each other if they all look exactly the same. <laughs> Morris, it's just because you're racist. They don't all look the same. <laughs> it's look, canon. It's literally the same the, to you. It, it's in the Wheel of Time companion that they're all identical.
2: Yeah, they know. It's like how do identical twins know the other ones if they're like triple? They got the
3: the Trolloc scroll bands and gangs they belong to the cabal and they, the and the, the emblems the emblems. Yeah, because they got badges on.
2: That's how they tell the difference. Yeah.
0: Okay. Hi, my name is. Hi,
2: my yes. name
3: is Steve. <laughs> I'm a level three <laughs> Madral. Norg. Been been in the employ yeah. <laughs> since the birth from my Trolloc mother who was they have trollic half names. hawk <laughs> and half <laughs> eagle.
0: Is, Norg is the only Trolloc name we know.
3: Yes.
2: It's the only trollic name I know. That doesn't only trollic, prove anything. It's
0: the only Trolloc that speaks in the entire series. Yeah. Indeed.
2: Because he's a wolf troll. So we have
0: one example of a Trolloc na- name. That's it. So there is a decent chance that there is a fade out there called
3: Narg as well. <laughs> there might be, yeah. yeah. Narg's dad. <laughs> oh wait, no, Narg's son is son of Narg.
1: Nargson. <laughs> Nargson. <laughs>
3: <laughs> wow. No, look, but, I mean, <laughs> uh, it's pretty amateur of Rand to bolt out with his flame blade when he's got the. The power of Kalando. There, um, yeah. that's
0: pretty much what Lanfear is saying to him. In the end of the previous chapter, she's standing there, sneering at the Flame Sword, saying, "You are using the power. <laughs> You're doing it wrong. You're doing it Do all better.
1: wrong." <laughs>
0: <laughs> totally. And then he leaves Kalando behind. Yeah. <laughs> Kalando, which we've established, can also be actually be used as a sword. It's an actual sword <laughs> that's there because it's unbreakable.
3: Yep. Yes, I you mean, no, like, what was it? If how Minecraft many weeks? Two weeks? has taught me anything, is you get yourself a diamond sword from the get go. Like, that's, you want diamond sword. <laughs>
0: this thing deflects balefire. <laughs> Come on.
3: Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah.
2: Much to learn.
0: Okay. Well, then, if there isn't too much else, we can probably launch straight into favorite moments. Are you guys ready for that?
2: Yes. I had forgotten my original one. But I've got two more.
0: Uh oh. <laughs> now I fear <laughs> going last again and having my favorite moment. Why don't you go first, From beneath me. Moritz, first, please. Okay, this time, just yeah. this one time, I will go first.
1: Watch him uh, my My favorite
0: now. moment <laughs> was when Rand says to the fade, Try me, fade. Damn you! <laughs> <laughs> I have a backup. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was your favorite moment from the way you reacted to it when you summarized the chapter, which is yeah. why I've agreed to go first this time. But I mean, exactly like you said, Joe, how far we've come. Mm-hmm. It was in Faldara when Rand was faced with the Fade, Inktara had to come save his bacon. You know, yeah. like he was shit scared. And between um, Faldara and the Stone of Tear, he is now not just killing fades. he's like mocking them. He's calling them out. Yes. Yeah giving them a chance you know like not even just going ahead and killing it it's like calling its attention come let's have a fight yeah. so i can school you <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's really great um okay so joe what was your backup
2: oh my backup was um literally happened in the blink of an eye perrin and fayel fighting back to back
1: i love oh, that couple cool.
2: they're my power couple man yeah um and they're just that that this image of like. them. Because they, they were not they're not, you know nowhere to be found in this chapter except for that one little moment. And we're like, what are they doing? Oh, there they are. Causing causing shit, killing Trollocs.
0: And and not magic users or anything, right? No. Like this is just Perrin blacksmithing his way through the tro Trollocs with his axe and Fail covering his back and throwing knives at whoever just th- knives in her hands might slip through his defenses, out yeah.
2: Both of them are so badass, and they're so good for each other. It's Love epic. it.
3: How about you, Vil? Oh my favorite moment is lanfia presenting herself to rand as real lanfia and that mm. real lanfia is even hotter than sabine <laughs> who puts <laughs> great and all the rest of them look pretty. <laughs> yeah oh, yeah so yeah she is like, formidable I mean, in everything she sense. is she is the forsaken she is the powerful forsaken she is the the one that's going to be pulling at Rand's threads or Lewis' threads a long time. Um, mm-hmm. So we can't disregard. I mean, Lanphier's going to landfear.
0: Before she was turned to the shadow, or before she turned to the shadow herself, she was both the most beautiful woman in the world and like a leading academic, you know, like okay. unfair the amount of advantages that she had. Mm-hmm. And then also just ruthless. Um. Did I have an honourable? Oh, I had an honourable mention. here. Matt sort of just strolling up to Egwene, like her, like sort of just noticing, like oh, here's Matt. <laughs> you know, like he's not calling out to her or like you know arranging a meeting or anything. Just she happens to be walking and he just falls in beside her, mm. and then her whole, their whole little interaction talking about you know like being back home and her sort of looking at Matt as like the same old uh mischievous Matt that he was back home. I enjoyed that. I guess I just. Like anything with Matt in it.
2: Speaking of Matt, where the fuck was he during this whole fight? I suppose we'll find out. I'm sure he'll
0: tell us in the next chapter.
2: (laughs) I've read the next chapter by mistake, and it's not about Matt. So we'll have to read a few more chapters.
0: (laughs) Okay. Okay, well, if that's all the favorite moments, I will take this opportunity to remind our listeners that they can send their favorite moments to us uh, using our Twitter handle at Blood and Ash Pod or any of the social media links in our episode description uh but you don't have to limit it to favorite moments as we always say send in your theories or corrections or anything you like i mean we had a new listener (laughs) message me from the website this week uh, a gentleman by the name of mike tracy whose only contribution was i am groot uh so thanks mike (laughs) (laughs) shot (laughs) So to to give our, to give our listeners uh, an indication of the level of of uh, relevance that you need to employ when submitting comments to our to our podcast, the bar is pretty low. Just uh, <laughs> let us know what you think, and chances are we'll we'll read it out. Anything you say will be repeated on this podcast.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I promise you, Jody will say whatever you
3: want. Being a multilingual team as we are, yeah. You sure didn't say I am Groot? Well, maybe. Maybe he's
0: a South African just mixing his languages,
1: oh, as we ready all bro. want to do. Mm-hmm.
0: So, with that out of the way, let's talk about our next episode. And as I alluded to earlier in this episode, we are going to be doing Chapter 11 through to the end of Chapter 18. <gasps> that is eight chapters. Whoa, Bonanza. Still about 100 pages, mm. uh, which is pretty much the same as everything we've done thus far. Uh, chapter 11 is called What Lies Hidden, and chapter 18 is called Into the Ways. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Ooh, <laughs> Spooky. No, no, no. <laughs> Uh, But on that spooky note, I think it is time to bid our our listeners a fond goodbye. And I will see them and you guys next time. Adios. Darmok and Jalad on the ocean. (laughs) On the ocean?
1: (laughs) The nerds. That's English. The Star Trek nerds will get it. Nerd. (laughs)